The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Time sucks. Space lizards chose another unique suck topic this time around. They're curious about the seven wonders of the ancient world. I am too. I remember hearing about the seven wonders of the ancient world as a kid, my imagination immediately racing, picturing massive sculptures, gigantic, opulent, ancient dwellings, ancient people living in preposterous luxury and palaces constructed in advanced ways that seemed too advanced, ways my mind couldn't comprehend as being possible thousands of years ago. So what are the seven ancient wonders? Why were they built? By whom? Why are so many of these ancient wonders Greek? Well, to answer that last question, the tourism guides of the second century BCE in Greece were the people who came up with the seven wonders of the world and their knowledge of the world uh, limited to the Mediterranean and its outskirts. That's why places like Stonehenge in England uh, from roughly 3000 BCE or the third century BCE terracotta army of Qin Shi Huang, first emperor of China, not included on the list of seven ancient wonders. Those old Greeks just didn't know about them. In addition to the seven ancient wonders, today we'll also check out some other amazing wonders of our world. What are the new seven wonders of the world? What are the most impressive natural wonders that Mother Nature has engineered? Looking at all of this and more today on this, what's that? Who did it? Why? How? Why isn't it there anymore? Who broke it? Uber inquisitive and wondrous edition of Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald and you're listening to Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, you beautiful bastard. Welcome to the Cult of the Curious. Get the fuck in here. Dan Cummins, balloon hater, chocolate lover, possible cult leader, probable undiagnosed mental illness case study. The suck master, weirdo you spend maybe too much time with. Maybe not enough. And you are listening to Time Suck. Nimrod, Lucifina, Bojangles, Triple M. Hail to you all. A uh, fun show for you today, special show. Stick around until the last Time Sucker update for a tribute to a very special Time Sucker, Marty motherfucking McCormick, the other Triple M who passed on recently. Uh, Going to share a special thing he did while he was still here with us. 
A couple announcements now and then some show. Sweet new Hail Nimrod tank top just in time for summer in the store at badmagicmerch.com. Got to show off those guns. Uh, Lindsay's especially proud of her guns right now. Right? She did a few bicep curls, got some definition, and uh, now she loves flexing. I need to get my butt in the gym more often before my guns get handed into the arm police. They are fading, getting a little soft. Anybody need that tank top? You know, it is made out of 350% Atlantean power crystals. Probably can't hurt. Uh, enough about my business. Uh, did you know that just for being a, a listener, for being a time sucker, you can get your business promoted for free on the Time Suck app? On the app that's going to be renamed shortly the Bad Magic app? Well, shortly, relative term. Soon. Somewhat soon. Uh, check out the order the suck on the app to see what businesses are ran by time suckers in your area. 78 businesses and counting in there right now. Uh, like Beach and Brew on Highway 30A in Seacrest, Florida. Go say hi to Gage Story. Drink one of his one of his many delicious brews. Uh, to get in on this, just order a $5 order of the Suck sticker in the store. That price just covers our costs. Read the product description for instructions on how to get your business added to the app. And that's it. We just want more suckers to find each other and support one another's businesses. Fuck yeah, bro. Speaking of nice things, we have not picked the animal-centric charity or charities that will get the Bad Magic Productions June donation as of this recording. We'll have to announce that next week. Uh, And last thing before story time, thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I haven't thanked you, I don't think, recently. Thanks for supporting what we do here at Bad Magic Productions. Uh, We have a lot of fun doing what we do. We couldn't do it without you listening, without some of you being patrons, without, you know, uh, you putting up with some ads, sometimes grabbing a sticker or shirt or whatever. The longer this has gone on, the more I appreciate all of you who listen. Uh, I love that I still worry about what you'll think of each episode, that I cram to the last minute to try and get into something a little extra. Uh, you know, I, I do that even more than I think I did when I when I started. Uh, I don't let that worry keep me from being myself as far as worrying about what you think about of each episode. FYI, it's, just, it's, it's a good worry, right? Sometimes people, it's funny, sometimes people get worried when they hear somebody say like, oh, I really, you know, get anxious over what you guys are going to think. Like, no, man, just be you. No, I, I, I'm, I'm being me but I want it to be the best me. So you guys keep enjoying the show. I give a fuck. I want to do a good job. Uh, I was just thinking about maybe just being a little reflective lately. Thinking about all the messages we've received over the past four years and change coming up on five years this fall. And I'm just, uh, I'm honored and flattered to have been an important part of many of your lives. Uh, I've grown a lot because of your feedback. The whole experience has changed me for the for the better. And again, uh, yeah, just want to just truly thank you weird and crazy bastards for enjoying whatever the hell all this is. This feels like the kind of uh, speech that would be like an apology, like like somebody did something and then they're like, all right. It's not like when a guy gets flowers because <laughs> he got caught doing something shitty. Uh, nothing shitty's happened. Uh, it's been great. It's been great lately. I just uh, was thinking that the other night when I was up researching, like, yeah, should, should you know, put that stuff, those thoughts into words. So, so there they are. This experiment in curiosity that for many has also become an experiment in the power of a virtual community is uh, very special to me. So hail Nimrod, you beautiful motherfuckers. Now let's get to wondering. Uh, did you know that tourism has been around a long, long time? I did not. For some reason, I just never pictured the people of antiquity taking vacations far from home. I didn't really think about them taking vacations at all, ever. <laughs> I thought of vacations as like a modern thing for some reason. Uh, travel was obviously a lot more time-consuming and tedious a few thousand years ago than it is now. You know, you couldn't buy plane tickets online. You couldn't uh, always find Starbucks or McDonald's. The world was way more dangerous. Laws were crazier. People got hacked to death, crucified, burned at the stake, you know, all kinds of shit. And not always for doing anything wrong. You know, rulers were crazier. You couldn't get vaccinations to protect you against foreign diseases. There was literally no hotels anywhere with hot tubs and continental breakfasts or Netflix and Hulu enabled TVs. 
No one had cameras or cell phones and selfie sticks to document their travels. No slideshows or photo albums. So why even go? What would be the point? Picture didn't happen. Seriously, though, I just never thought of it. But it did happen. Not often. Not all the time. Not in every country or culture, but it did happen. And the ancient Greeks may have been the first to do it. At least the first that we know of. And the ancient seven wonders of the world may have been the world's very first uh, true tourist destinations. Some wealthy Greek merchants, rulers, nobility, they wanted to see more of the world than what existed in their respective city-states. They wanted to travel to foreign lands, not just to try and open up new trade markets and make money or to wage war, but sometimes just to see some cool shit. See some new sites, meet some new people, and go back home, you know, rub how cool it was in everybody's faces. And the historians of their day acted as tour guides of a sort for those folks. The Hellenistic era of Greece from 323 BCE to 31 BCE, that was when some ancient dudes wrote up the first kind of, sort of Rick Steves type travel guides. They didn't write like travel books per se, but they did speak of wonders in their books that inspired some of their contemporaries or those who read their tales after they died, sometimes long after they died, to go seek out these wonders and uh, see them with their own eyes if they were still around. You know, Herodotus, uh, Callimachus of Cyrene, Antipater of Sidon, uh, Philo of Byzantium, and some other ancient writers compiled lists of what they thought were the most monumental must-sees of the ancient world, and their writings morphed into the original list of the seven wonders of the world. <laughs> and I'm going to slow down to say a lot of these words. Oh, today was a pronunciation nightmare, but I did prep more than ever before. But I couldn't, I couldn't prep on like just Greece or just, you know, uh, um, uh, what were some other places we're going to go to? Like just in the Middle East, like I had to kind of, we're bouncing all over the place. So I was like, damn it. I get some words down, get the flow down. And then I'm like, ah, shit, now I'm in Central America. So just know that prep went in, probably going to fuck some up for sure. But uh, I think, I think, knock on whatever this is, going to do better than normal. Uh, Philo of Byzantium specifically actually wrote a short account entitled The Seven Sites of the World. And then sites, a translation of the Greek word uh, theomata, was retranslated into wonder because wonder sounds cooler than sites. Uh, none of these men had traveled further than the Middle East and parts of Northern Africa, so the world they knew wasn't nearly as big as it is today. And that's why none of their wonders existed very far from the Mediterranean coast. And the original seven wonders are the Great Pyramid at Giza, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Temple of Zeus at Olympia, the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus, the mausoleum at Halicarnassus, the Colossus of Rhodes, and the Monster Truck Rally Dirt Pit RC Car and Truck Racetrack, Exotic Pet Store, and five-story flea market of Majenkiville. Woo! Small community of cousin fuckers uh, that live just outside of Sparta. Archaeologists re just recently found some knockoff Bart Simpson t-shirts, a few uh, genuine leather bullwhips, and some blacklight tiger and wolf posters, thought to be over 2,500 years old. Uh, JK, obvious JK, gosh dang. Uh, the Lighthouse of Alexandria is the seventh wonder. I wish there was like an ancient <laughs> monster truck flea marketplace. Uh, of the seven entries, five are a celebration of Greek accomplishments and the arts and architecture, the other two being the Pyramids of Giza and the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And these ancient wonders slash monuments were so impressive in size, scope, and artistic achievement that visitors from all over the known world, anyone with enough money, would make the trek to Egypt or Turkey or Greece specifically to see them with their own eyes. Many of the seven wonders were dedicated to a god or gods, while others were dedicated to humans and still others created by humans who thought they were gods. Amazingly, despite the age of some of these wonders, the seven wonders only all existed at the same time for a period of less than 60 years. Also, as you can imagine, not everyone agreed then or now about what the seven ancient wonders were. Some lists had only six, others had more. 
As time marched on, people have wanted to add many other monuments, including Solomon's Temple, the Roman Colosseum, even Noah's Ark, if the Ark even existed. Uh, jury's still out on that one. Jury's still out on the Hanging Gardens of Babylon as well. Some don't think that ancient wonder ever truly existed. Some don't think several of the other wonders ever existed, or at least didn't exist as we think of them today. We'll look at that. Now, after we're done going over the most agreed upon list of the traditional seven wonders of the ancient world, uh, we'll look at some of the wonders of the Middle Ages, also what people in 2000 believed the new wonders of the world should be, and then we'll look at the seven wonders of the natural world. So much fucking wonder! We're going to stuff so much wonder in your ear holes today. We're going to shove it down your throat hole. You're going to kick some wonder up your butthole. Today, finally, all your holes get filled with wonder. Hail Nimrod. Can even look a bit more uh, uh, at wonder in the fifth takeaway today. A uh, pretty straightforward episode today as far as structure goes. Wonder followed by wonder followed by more wonder. Also sneaking in a bunch of quick hit edits of the internet segments today. Haven't done that old segment in a while. So not, not since we launched the Is We Dumb podcast where that segment uh, really kind of, you know, uh, that segment inspired. Uh, today, I thought it'd be fun to check in and see some wackadoodles, see what they think about the seven ancient wonders. So many uh, unusual and outside the box, and no one knows what you're fucking talking about theories out there. So grab a shovel and a sun hat. Let's dig in. <laughs> no timeline for today, suck. No need. Uh, let's start with the only wonder you can still visit that's relatively still intact, despite being over 4,600 years old. The one we'll spend the most time on because we've been able to study it the most. The Great Pyramid of Giza. We've talked about pyramids a few times on Sucks, about the Egyptian gods, uh, 198, Lost Technologies, episode 151, Cleopatra, 122, and others. And we can't have a seven wonder suck without sucking one of them a bit more. Uh, the Great Pyramid of Giza is actually part of a complex of pyramids of Giza. Several impressive man-made mountains can be located or are located at what's referred to as, at the, as the, my God, Giza Pyramid Complex, also called the Giza Necropolis on the Giza Plateau in Greater Cairo, Egypt. Just outside of Cairo. The site includes the Great Pyramid of Giza, uh, the Pyramid of Khafre, and the Pyramid of Menkere, uh, along with their associated pyramid complexes and the Great Sphinx of Giza. And these pyramids were royal tombs built for three different pharaohs. At least that's the general consensus. Uh, humility, apparently not a virtue of the pharaohs. Not a real humble dude. When instead of a headstone, you'd like the biggest structure on earth to be built to commemorate your passing or your existence. And of course, there was a lot more to it than that. Uh, we went over Egyptian spiritual beliefs and the Egyptian gods suck. The pyramids housed the tombs of pharaohs and were constructed in part to help them transition from this world to the next. And I know, I know, a tomb of a pharaoh hasn't been located in Giza. There's all kinds of conspiracies about that. <laughs> we'll address it in a second. Uh, also, uh, they were built to show their power, right? These pyramids, you know, look at me. Look at what you get when you rule all of Egypt. Fuck yeah, bro. This is what it's like when you're living that sandy boy life. Sandy boy life forever. Uh, I'm pretty sure the pharaohs never referred to themselves as sandy boys, but I wish they did. Looking good, sandy boy. Uh, I don't know where that came from. Uh, but seriously, though, the sheer size of these structures tell you a little bit about the role that the pharaoh king played in Egyptian society, also how these uh, pharaohs thought of themselves. Somewhere in between human and divine, they were believed to have been chosen by the gods themselves to serve as their mediators here on earth. They were possessed by the gods. And actually, sometimes they were seen as gods and or thought of themselves as actual gods. The Egyptians were around a long, long time and their beliefs shifted around over the years uh, as you would expect. I wonder how many of the, their people believed they were actual gods or godlike. I bet a lot of villagers did not believe that, but they were expected to publicly profess you know, faith in that belief. But I bet in the privacy of their homes, I bet a lot of Egyptian peasants were like, chosen by the gods, my ass. 
His people are always hungry. And you know, and just last week, he announced that we were fighting the wrong goddamn army. I, I once watched him talk about the Nile while, while pointing in the, in the wrong direction. <laughs> he, he once thanked the gods for a bountiful apple harvest. We grow grapes, motherfucker. No one's even seen an apple in Egypt. My God, the Pharaoh wasn't chosen by the gods unless they were joking around. Fucking moron. Uh, you know, people always talk shit about rulers. Because the expected belief was that pharaohs were chosen by the gods, were connected to the gods, were gods, etc. It was in everyone's interest to keep the king's majesty intact, even after his death, when he was believed to become Osiris, god of the dead. The new pharaoh, in turn, became Horus, the falcon god who served as protector of the sun god Ra. And these beliefs, again, they shifted over the years. This, you know, this applied to some. Ancient Egyptians believed that when the king died, part of his spirit, known as Ka, remained with his body to properly care for his spirit. The corpse was mummified, his organs placed in separate jars, and everything the king would need in the afterlife was buried with him, including gold vessels, food, furniture, and other offerings. Uh, some pharaohs were buried with mummified cats, giant boats, board games, boomerangs, even servants. Okay, maybe not, maybe not boomerangs. Uh, maybe not, uh, you know, uh, servants either. Uh, there are no pharaoh terms with actual servants buried alongside them, but they did have these little figurines called Ushapti. It was thought that the Ushapti would come alive to serve the kings in the afterlife. Had some real complex and intricate death rituals and religious beliefs. In 1922, uh, Tutankhamun's tomb was open, uh, also known as King Tut for short. I can say King Tut a lot better than what I said earlier. It was the first tomb to be found almost intact. Inside it were 5,398 artifacts, including two thrones, six chariots, a solid gold burial mask, makeup bag, wig, perfume box, coffin, which contained his mummified body. The Egyptians also believed that good uh, King Tut would be hungry in his journey through the afterlife as there were also over 100 baskets of barley, figs, grapes, melons, more tasty treats, no apples. Cannot have tasty treats when you're dead. No, no one wants a hungry zombie. No one wants a hungry zombie Sandy boy running around. He also apparently loved a glass of wine as evidenced by the many jars of it in his tomb. Need something to take the edge off when you're getting used to being dead, I guess. Uh, the pyramids became the focus of what was basically a cult of the dead king that was supposed to continue well after his death. Their riches would provide not only for him, but also for his relatives, officials, and priests who were buried near him. The northernmost and oldest pyramid of the Giza group was built for Khufu, which is Cheops in Greek, the second king of the fourth dynasty, called the Great Pyramid. It's the largest of the three and the real ancient wonder. There's some controversy about if it was actually built to be a tomb, as there have been no remains or burial chambers uncovered in the Great Pyramid. Most Egyptologists agree that all three pyramids are tombs, and that the burial chambers of the Great Pyramid have either been robbed, destroyed, or as yet undiscovered. Conspiracy theorists disagree strongly. Uh, standing at over 450 feet, the Great Pyramid was the largest man-made structure on Earth for 3,800 years, roughly, uh, until January 28, 1887, when the Eiffel Tower was completed in Paris, Paris, France. That's an insane run. And not only was it tall, it was fucking massive. The length of each side of the pyramid at the base, over 750 feet, and it just pops off to flat sand. Imagine being some poor villager. You, you've never seen a man-made structure over maybe two or three stories tall ever in your life. Maybe not even, you know, more than one story. If you lived like a nomad or in a particularly small village, you've never seen anything bigger than like a tent. And then suddenly you see a building roughly as tall as a 45-story downtown skyscraper and much bigger around. That would blow your fucking mind. And I imagine it would, uh, you know, help you fear and respect the power of the Pharaoh, which I'm guessing was a big part of the reason for their construction. I would think if I'm some foreign army, you know, some foreign army general seeing that, I'm going to assume that the Egyptian army, pretty legit. 
odds are not going to have the ability to build the biggest structure on earth, the biggest structure the world has ever seen, and then have an army composed of like three elderly men with rickety slingshots and paper hats. When it was first built, the Great Pyramid of Giza was actually a bit taller than it is now. Uh, erosion and theft of the outer covers of the pyramid, it was once covered with a highly polished white limestone, have since diminished its stature a bit. The pyramid complex at Giza was built during an extremely prosperous time when Egypt was among the richest civilizations on earth. From the beginning of the dynastic era, 2950 BCE, royal tombs were carved into rock and covered with flat-roofed rectangular structures known as mastabas, which were precursors to the pyramids. The oldest known pyramid in Egypt was built around 2630 BCE at Saqqara for the third dynasty's king, uh, Joser. Known as the Step Pyramid, it began as a traditional mastaba, but grew into something much more ambitious. As the story goes, the pyramid's architect was Imhotep, a priest and healer who some 1,400 years later would be deified as the patron saint of scribes and physicians. Over the course of Joser's nearly 20-year reign, pyramid builders assembled six stepped layers of stone, which contrasted to the mud brick like most earlier tombs that eventually reached a height of 204 feet. It was the tallest building of its time. The step pyramid was surrounded by a complex of courtyards, temples, and shrines where Joser could enjoy his afterlife. No word as if he was able to do that or not. Kind of hard to quantify, but that was the hope. After Joser, the stepped pyramid became the norm for royal burials, although none of those planned by his dynastic successors were completed, mostly because many of them had relatively short reigns. So that's that's how the pyramids began being built, as opposed to aliens, you know, suddenly giving Egyptians magical powers to just, you know, construct massive pyramids out of fucking nowhere. No, they learned how to build them by applying a lot of time and energy and getting a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger over many centuries. The earliest tomb constructed as a true smooth-sided, not stepped pyramid was the Red Pyramid at Dashur, one of the three burial structures built for the first king of the fourth dynasty, uh, Snefru, who lived from 2613 to 2589 BCE named for the color of the limestone blocks used to construct the pyramid's core. Uh, back to the Great Pyramid, though uh, Khufu, the king it was built for, reigned for 23 years. Uh, little is known about his reign beyond that pyramid. The sides of the pyramid's base average 755 feet. Uh, its original height supposed to be uh, 481 feet. Largest pyramid in the world. Three small pyramids uh, are built for Khufu's queens, excuse me, are lined up next to the Great Pyramid. And a tomb was found nearby containing the empty sarcophagus of his mother, Queen Hetaparis. Like other pyramids, Khufu's is surrounded by a row of mastabas where relatives or officials of the king were buried to accompany and support him in the afterlife. The middle pyramid at Giza was built for Khufu's son, Pharaoh Khafre, who lived from 2558 to 2532 BCE. Pyramid of Khafre, second tallest pyramid at Giza, does indeed contain Pharaoh Khafre's tomb. A unique feature built inside Khafre's pyramid complex was the Great Sphinx, a guardian statue carved in limestone with the head of a man and the body of a lion. Guessing you've heard of it. Largest statue in the ancient world, measuring 240 feet long and 66 feet high. That's a, that's a, that's a big cat-like thing. In the, 18, in the 18th dynasty, around 1500 BCE, the Great Sphinx would come to be worshipped itself as the image of a local form of the god Horus. The southernmost pyramid at Giza was built for Khafre's son, Menkere, who lived from 2532 to 2503 BCE. He reigned for about 20 years. And apparently, maybe he didn't do a good a job of, you know, his running shit as his dad because he got the shortest of the three pyramids, you know, 218 feet, less than half as big as Khufu's pyramids or pyramid. You know, his pyramid was a precursor to the smaller pyramids that would be constructed during the fifth and sixth dynasties. Why'd they get smaller? Nobody knows for sure. Maybe the pharaohs got shittier, right? Maybe, maybe ancient aliens got lazy. 
Maybe one Egyptian noble is like, we must construct the greatest pyramid the world has ever seen for our freshly departed and beloved Menkeri. The largest pyramid for the greatest pharaoh. And then some other Egyptian was like, whoa, whoa, slow down there, Haas. Easy, tiger. Uh, Menkeri wasn't half the pharaoh that Khufu was. Khufu drove all the snakes out of Egypt for like 20 years, right? He rode crocodiles up and down the Nile like some kind of majestic swamp horse. He used to kill hippo hippopotamuses, you know, by sliding under them and uppercutting them in the nuts. When his camel got thirsty, he'd put the fucking camel on his back and run it to the nearest water hole. At least that's what the hieroglyphics say. That's how I read it. You know, he was living God. What did Menkere do? Well, he swatted more mosquitoes than the average guy, maybe. Had some decent pecs based on statues. Cool looking falcon for a pet. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he still gets a pyramid. He's a pharaoh, of course, but he gets a little one. <laughs> he gets a baby pyramid. Uh, skeletons excavated from the area show that workers who built the pyramids were probably native Egyptian agricultural laborers, not necessarily slaves, uh, who worked on the pyramids during the time of year when the Nile River flooded much of the land nearby. Approximately 2.3 million blocks of stone, averaging about two and a half tons each, had to be cut, transported, and assembled to build Khufu's Great Pyramid. Or did they? I was excited to find this. Or were they poured? Check this shit out. I love it when new info like this comes to light and potentially changes, you know, all of the existing thoughts about some of these things. A, a recent Franco-American study discussed in a University of Memphis publication earlier this year in 2021 gives more evidence to a growing belief that the ancient Egyptians built their great pyramids uh, partially, largely by pouring concrete into blocks high on the site rather than hauling up giant stones. People have been speculating about this for decades. Now the idea is starting to pick up some momentum in the scientific community. What if we've been wondering all these years, how the hell did they lift those big, heavy-ass blocks? you know, up to make those pyramids. And then we find out they didn't. They built the blocks where they now sit. They weren't all carved rocks. They were big ass bricks, essentially. Big ass limestone concrete fucking driveways in brick form. According to Professor Giles Hug of the French National Aerospace Research Agency and Professor Michael Barsom of Drexel University in Philadelphia, the covering of the Great Pyramids at Giza consists of two types of stones, one from quarries and one man-made. They and other believers uh, believe that the lower stones were carried over and then the upper stones were poured. There's no way around it. The chemistry is well and truly different, says Professor Hug when he was uh, being interviewed by Science at V magazine. The pair used x-rays, a plasma torch, and electron microscopes to compare small fragments from pyramids with stone from nearby quarries. They found traces of a rapid chemical reaction which did not allow natural crystallization. The reaction would be inexplicable if the stones were quarried, but perfectly comprehensible if one accepts that they were cast like concrete. The professors think that soft limestone was quarried on the damp south side of the Giza Plateau. Uh, this was then dissolved in large Nile-fed pools until it became a watery slurry. Lime from fireplace ash and salt were mixed in with it. The water evaporated, leaving a moist clay-like mixture. This wet, quote-unquote, concrete would have been carried to the site, packed into wooden molds where it would set hard after a few days. Uh, Mr. Davidovitz and his team at the Geopolymer Institute at St. Quentin uh, tested this method recently, producing a large block of concrete limestone in just 10 days. Guy de Mortier, a material scientist at Namur University in Belgium, is one of the many who supports his claim, originally a skeptic. He told a French magazine that a decade of study had made him a convert. The three majestic pyramids of Cheops, Khafre, and Mykerenus are well and truly made from concrete stones. Uh, this last study came, yeah, came in just this year. Surprised it hasn't gotten more media attention. Maybe it's too boring, not sexy enough. I did look into other, you know, publications. I, I do see it's uh, being talked about primarily in academic journals elsewhere. Maybe, maybe just bums out too many people who really want it to be alien tech. 
the ancient Greek historian Herodotus wrote that it took 20 years to build and re- these pyramids, uh, like the Great Pyramid of Giza, that required the labor of 100,000 men, but later archaeological evidence suggests that the workforce might actually have been around 20,000. Some estimates have the time it took to build somewhere around 10 years, and maybe it only took around 10 years because they were pouring concrete, not lifting those blocks up and carving them. Uh, pyramids continued to be built throughout the 5th and 6th dynasties, but the general quality and scale of their construction declined over this period, along with the power and wealth of the kings themselves. Today, millions of meat sacks continue to visit the pyramids each year. Uh, maybe not this past year, but you know, you get it. Uh, drawn by the sheer size and mystery of Egypt's rich and glorious past. Before we leave our talk of pyramids, there are a vast number of pyramid conspiracies out there. Of course there are. Regarding how they were made, what they are. We've talked about some of them before. You know, there's one about secret societies, Illuminati shit, holding occult rituals there on certain unholy dates. There's the hypothesis that the pyramids are star maps lining up with Orion's belt, which leads you down a path that eventually is the idea that ancient aliens benevolently benevolently came down from space, gifted humanity a bunch of things like mass fire and war machines. All the ancient alien stuff. Uh, Pyramid has also found its way into the center of the whole Illuminati New World Order conspiracy. Just look at the back of the dollar bill. In the lost technology suck, we talked about the idea of pyramids being power stations that fueled an ancient electricity grid. Uh, literally no evidence of that uh, like at all. Like zero. Uh, there are other theories, such as those laid out in the comment section underneath a recent, recent History Channel video. Time for today's first idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. Uh, time-suck resident cryptozoologist and ancient astronaut theorist David Hatcher Childress shared some thoughts about the pyramids recently on an episode from Season 5 of the History Channel's Ancient Aliens. Both the Mayans and the Egyptians have legends that the gods came down and gave them instructions to build pyramids. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, with the Egyptians, yeah. the famous god Thoth is known as the architect of the universe. And it was he who allegedly designed the entire pyramid complex at Giza. Okay, there you go. (laughs) Boom! The gods, aka aliens, told Egyptians how to build pyramids. Next mystery. This one's solved. Children's knocked out of the park. Uh, They're old stories. No, they can't just be made up folklore. No, sir. Anyone who knows anything about history knows that ancient people only wrote literal truth. Literal gods fought in the Trojan War. We all know that. People fought actual dragons, for sure. The ocean was definitely full of sea serpents. A guy put two of every single animal species in a big wooden boat and floated around for a while. For sure. Not parables. Uh Uh-uh. All take it at face value truths. Uh, The comment section beneath this History Channel video has a lot of other theories. (laughs) Let's check in with three geniuses. Obvious Rhodes scholar Tom Rhodes. Not the great stand-up comic, also named Rhodes. Uh, Tom Rhodes, writes, the Great Pyramid was built over 12,000 years ago. It was designed by Thoth, sometimes pronounced Thoth, uh, which was the same soul that eventually came as Yeshua, one with Christ, Jesus Christ. The stones were levitated, and yet it still took 100 years to build. (laughs) It's amazing the things you can know when you desire truth without prejudice. A teacher and prophet of God has spoken. Boom! Forget what I said earlier about aliens. A prophet of God has spoken. Thoth Jesus did it, sheeple. Come on. The stones were levitated for a hundred years exactly for some reason. <laughs> next question. <laughs> Actually, before we get to the next, uh, the next, the next uh, uh, comment here, I love when they put these like just perfectly like round numbers. Like why would it take exactly a hundred years? 
If you could levitate these fucking, if you, if you can do magic, just knock that thing out in a fucking day. What are you doing? What are you doing with your magic? If it's still taking you a hundred years, if you can levitate shit, get out of here. Uh, genetic detective Kelly Fritz reminds us in this next comment that there is scientific proof that pharaohs were aliens. So aliens definitely did build the pyramids. Kelly writes, as well as far as building them and who did that, all the pharaohs, all of them have unknown DNA, meaning alien DNA. They're not from this world, okay? That's how they were built. Every mummy that they've excavated, found, has had regular people DNA. Every pharaoh they have found, any, every king, excluding the woman Nefriti, had alien DNA. So that also ties in there somewhere too. Fucking boom, another mic drop. Forget what I said about Thoth Jesus. Sheeple, I stand corrected, it was aliens. All pharaohs have alien DNA, Avi. Everyone knows that except any scientists. I looked into it. I Googled, did pharaohs have alien DNA? And I feel like when the results came back, I could almost hear my laptop be like, fuck, come on, dude. What are you doing? Why are you, why are you asking these questions? Kelly's insane. King Tut's remains have been examined. Uh, regular old DNA and not, and not actually very good DNA. Regular old incest, heavy DNA, a lot of problems, a lot of inbreeding. Uh, finally, Charles R. presents a new theory I've never heard. He respectfully points out that the pyramids were not built by aliens. They were built instead by demons. <laughs> He posts, I respectfully say that you guys don't have a clue. I'm going to tell you the truth. You have one thing, right? They are ancient, but they're not aliens. There's no such thing as aliens. They are the fallen. There's your truth. Boom. Forget what I said about aliens again, sheeple. The pyramids were built by the fallen, as in fallen angels, as in demons. Highly doubt he's referencing the game Destiny when he's talking about the fallen. Uh, and why would Satan and his minions want to build pyramids? Well, because. Okay, they're they're evil, you, right? Just look at them. They're all pointy, kind of like a nipple or a dick or something, you know? And they're they're pretty fucking cool. Who likes cool shit? The devil does, you know? Like like goth like like goth latex bodysuits and Marilyn Manson's first couple albums, you know, and and pyramids. And that's why. Let's just oh, all right, get out of here. Idiots of the internet. Do you feel smarter than those last people right now? I hope so. Enough about pyramids. Let's stay in Egypt for a bit longer and look at the second wonder of the ancient world, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, also known as Pharos of Alexandria. Built on the island of Pharos outside the harbors of Alexandria, Egypt, about 300 to 280 BCE during the reigns of Ptolemy I and II. Remember those sister fuckers from the Cleopatra suck? So much incest. Actually, the first couple of Ptolemy dudes uh, did not have kids with their sisters. That, that would come later. It would come from their de descendants. Maybe they were able to create an ancient wonder because their minds and bodies weren't yet ravaged by incest-related diseases and deformities. Uh, with a height variously estimated somewhere between 393 and 450 feet, 120, 140 meters, uh, the Lighthouse of Alexandria was one of the tallest man-made structures on Earth for many centuries, standing for more than 1,600 years. Uh, built to last. They really don't make some things like they used to. And it also featured a massive furnace at its top that was among the first of its kind. We'll get into that. Uh, holy shit, this thing was uh, around 100 feet taller than the Statue of Liberty is. And it had a big-ass fire pit at the top. What, what, a, what a cool thing to see, you know, over 2,000 years ago. It'd be a cool thing to see now. Uh, it was the third longest surviving ancient wonder after the mausoleum at Halicarnassus and the still-standing Great Pyramid that lasted until 1480, when the last of its remnant stones were used to build the Citadel of Quibay, 
really cool looking castle actually that you can visit now in Alexandria that's on the site of the old lighthouse. Uh, the city of Alexandria in Egypt was founded by Alexander the Great in 331 BCE. We learned that when we sucked Alexander the Great back in September 2020. Uh, because of its two natural harbors on the Nile Delta, the city prospered as a trading port under the Ptolemaic dynasty from 305 to 30 BCE and throughout antiquity. A cosmopolitan city with citizens from all over the Greek world, the city had its own assembly and coinage became well-known as a center of ancient learning. Around 300 BCE, Ptolemy I Soter commissioned the building of this massive lighthouse to guide ships into Alexandria and to provide a permanent reminder of his power and greatness. Uh, the project was completed some 20 years later, around 280 BCE, by his son and successor, Ptolemy II. The structure only added to the already impressive list of things to see in the great city, which included the Tomb of Alexander, the Museum, an institution for scholars, plus the beautiful uh, Seraphium Temple, and the magnificent Library of Alexandria. Uh, according to several ancient sources, the lighthouse was the work of the architect Sostratus of Nidus. Other sources state he was the financial backer and designer. The structure was located on the very tip of the limestone islet of Pharos, facing the harbors of Alexandria. These two natural harbors were the Great Harbor and the Harbor of Fortunate Return. And there are at least 40 ancient shipwrecks that have been found in that harbor. Maybe the lighthouse didn't work out so great. Or I can only wonder how many ships sailed past it for over 1,600 years. Maybe that lighthouse was awesome. Maybe it saved a ton of sailors from a watery grave. Uh, the mainland was linked to the island of Pharos by a causeway, a giant man-made dike that measured around three quarters of a mile, itself an ancient wonder of a sort. Wish something would have, uh, you know, wish someone would have done like a cool painting or something of this lighthouse. Would love to know exactly what it looked like. Uh, the Lighthouse is written by a contemporary writer named, uh, no pronunciation guide for this crazy-ass name, uh, Poseidipos. Poseidipos. Oh, boy. It's like Poseidon and Dippos smushed together. Uh, was intended to guide and protect sailors, and uh, to that end was dedicated to two gods, Zeus Soter, the deliverer, whose uh, you know, dedication inscription on the tower was made with half-meter-high letters, and Proteus. Or, Pro, or uh, Proteus, there we go, the Greek sea god, also known as the old man of the sea. Proteus, there we go. The lighthouse at Alexandria was probably not the first such aid to, you know, to ancient sea travelers to be built, but it seems to have been the first massive lighthouse to be built. Uh, Thossus, the North Aegean island, for example, was known to have had a tower lighthouse in the archaic period around the 5th century BCE, and beacons and landmarks were widely used by cities to help sailors across the Mediterranean. Ancient lighthouses were built primarily as navigational aids, for where a harbor was located, rather than as a warning of hazardous shallows or submerged rocks. Could be confusing. Although because of the dangerous waters of Alexandria's harbor, the pharaohs performed both functions. Interesting. Is, is uh, that one of the harbor is over here beacons, or is that don't come near here because there are jagged rocks that will sink your ship beacons? Uh, the Greek geographer and traveler Strabo, who lived between 64 BCE and 24 CE, made the following observations about this lighthouse. He said... This extremity itself of the island is a rock, washed by the sea on all sides. With a tower upon it of the same name as the island, admirably constructed of white marble with several stories. Sostratus of Nidus, a friend of the kings, erected it for the safety of mariners, as the inscription imports. For as the coast on each side is low and without harbor, with reefs and shallows, an elevated and conspicuous mark was required to enable navigators coming in from the open sea to direct their course exactly to the entrance of the harbor. Uh, the exact design of the lighthouse isn't explicitly written about by ancient historians, with descriptions often being vague, confusing, conflicting. Uh, most sources do agree, though, that the tower was white, which would have made it more visible, 
And then it had three floors, the lowest being rectangular, the middle one octagonal, and the top one round. Most agree that there was a, a statue of Zeus Soter on the top. Later Arab writers describe a ramp rising out to the outside of the lower part of the tower and an internal staircase to reach the upper levels. A fire, likely burning oil since wood was scarce, was kept at the top of the tower to make it visible at night. But whether this was uh, so from the outset is debated by historians, largely because the earliest references to the pharaohs in the works of ancient writers make no mention at all of a light. Later sources do describe the pharaohs as a lighthouse and do uh, and not merely as a landmark tower used only during daylight. The flame and several other points regarding the lighthouse are mentioned in the following description by the first century CE Roman writer Pliny the Elder. Pliny writes, The cost of its erection was 800 talents, they say, thought laughing at erection, and not to admit the magnanimity, mag, mag, oh, magnanimity that was shown by King Ptolemaeus on this occasion. He gave permission to the architect, Sostratus of Nidus, to inscribe his name upon the edifice itself. The object of it is, by the light of its fires at night, to give warning to ships of the neighboring shoals and to point out to them the entrance of the harbor. Uh, according to later Arab sources, there was even a mirror made of what was thought to be polished bronze to reflect the flame over a greater distance out to sea. And that mirror may have also functioned as a reflector of the sun during the day. It's pretty badass. Like a like an ancient Batman bat signal. Throwing that light up into the sky. And how crazy that when this thing existed, there was nothing like it in the rest of the world. Alexandria was a city unlike any other. Some conspiracy theorists have speculated that the mirror on top of that lighthouse acted as some sort of a laser Death Star type super weapon that could be used to set ships on fire, you know, that it would just be pointed at. Uh, that does not seem to be true, but it would be pretty cool if they had some kind of fucking, you know, Death Star weapon back then. Uh, Alexandria would prosper when it became part of the Roman Empire in 80 BCE, being the second most important city in the Roman world, excuse me, next to Rome itself and the most important port in the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, the lighthouse appears on Roman imperial coinage from 81 to 192 CE, which clearly shows a large, narrow-winded, uh, narrow-windowed, <laughs> narrow-winded, what would that even mean? Check out that narrow-winded tower. What? It's a narrow-winded tower. It's short of breath. Um, no, it's a large, narrow-windowed tower topped with a monumental statue and two smaller figures of Triton blowing a conch shell. These coins show the entrance to the tower being at the very base, while later Arab descriptions have it higher up. The pharaohs also appeared in mosaics and sarcophagi throughout antiquity, confirming its wide fame. The term pharaohs would be used in many languages around the ancient world to describe lighthouses. Actually, when uh, spelled lowercase, pharaohs is now an English synonym for lighthouse. That's how famous this lighthouse is. You know, the name of this lighthouse became just the name for lighthouse. Uh, this amazing monument, it wouldn't last forever. Earthquakes in 796 CE and again in 950 CE with a partial collapse six years later. And then yet again in 1303 CE, and 1323 C badly damaged this landmark. There are records of regular repairs and extensions. They tried to save it. Uh, doomed mosque was added to the top part around 1000 CE. A major reconstruction occurred around 1161 CE under the Fatimids. And then the lighthouse disappears from the historical record after the 14th century, most likely brought down by another earthquake sometime in the 1330 CE. Again, the last of the tower's granite foundations were reused in the Kwai Bay Fort, that citadel built in the 15th century CE. That Citadel Fortress uh, can still be visited today. I watched a couple YouTube tour videos of it. It looks pretty badass. Now let's hear a few more thoughts about the ancient Alexandria Lighthouse from people way less educated, but somehow also much smarter than all of the world's traditional historians. Idiots of the internet.
Under a YouTube video titled The Ancient Skyscraper, Pharos, The Lighthouse of Alexandria, Part 1, uploaded by the Lost History Channel, user Mitchell Krauth has a fucking newsflash for you. Uh, for all of us knowledge hounds, writing newsflash. These ancient cities we speak of like Alexandria and many others are ancient going back hundreds of thousands of years of advanced civilizations with highly sophisticated cities and infrastructure within the head and developed science and had extreme addiction for truth, honesty, perfection, discipline, mathematics and knowledge of all cultures in all languages to be kind and helpful, give food and shelter and spread kindness around the planet. Smiley face. I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, thanks for that newsflash, Mitchell. And on behalf of your family and everyone who knows you, please take your meds. We're all worried about you. I love that he ended that gibberish with, I'm just saying. <laughs> what a fun way to end a nonsensical rant. Hey, you want truth? Look at the Mayans. They ate lettuce and rode zebra tigers and made monkeys fight with laser swords. It's the aluminum. It vibrates at a 4D frequency and resonates with the ley lines that connect Lemuria to Atlantis. And that is how ham and cheese hot pockets are made. I'm just saying. Just saying some shit. Uh, YouTube user Kevin Serafim Day wants to let us know something that's being hidden from us by mainstream historians. That the lighthouse was built by giants. He writes, the alleged earthquake, quote unquote, that destroyed it was actually Noah's flood. But you won't find that being taught anywhere. Like all the megaliths, it was built by pre-flood giants. Ah, the old pre-flood giant theory. That's why all the ancient big shit was built by giants that no one can find fossils for at all. Got it. Thank you, Kev. Uh, that is the only giant comment I'll include today. <laughs> but explaining the ancient seven wonders as having been built by now extinct races of giants, it's a comment that comes up a lot. Under <laughs> a lot of videos, I was surprised by the volume of giant comments. Sometimes I wish I could just believe shit like that, right? What a fun world to live in. Just thinking about giants and stuff. Uh, Brandon Blount thinks the real mystery of how the lighthouse came to be is being hidden from us by the Vatican. I think. I think that's what he's saying. He's also saying that the real history of the lighthouse and so much more was stored in the Library of Alexandria. Uh, I think. Here's what he writes. Illusion and denial. The Vatican's secret library has books and writings from before the flood. Nephilim writings, old maps of the entire planet before the flood. That's how they knew where all the land was and they tell sailors like Columbus where to go as long as he never reveals where he gets the hints from. I sure would like to be able to access that secret library if I didn't know the language I teach myself until I could read everything in there. Our entire history is in there. Everyone has to know that. <laughs> you know, before all the book burnings and city destruction, they took the most revealing and important information back to the Vatican as proof of the past for the fish hat wearing demons to salivate over as they worship their master Lucifer. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with people? Uh, it was the Vatican. It was the Vatican, the old, the old fish hat wearing demons. Uh-huh. I, I don't know that I've heard about those demons before. I gotta say for a demon, I don't know that wearing a fish hat. It's probably some like a pejorative term for Catholics or something, like a Pope hat. That's supposed to be more scary. Uh, also, I did lie about not mentioning giants again. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was gonna mention giants again, but I already did. I don't think I will going forward in these comments. Uh, Nephilim are mysterious beings or people mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. They are a large and strong race of people mythical race of people um, thought to be by some as a race of actual giants. Uh, one more. This comment wasn't left uh, about the Lighthouse of Alexandria. It was left about the Library of Alexandria, but the reply to it was so good that I just wanted to share it. Karen Reeves writes, so much hidden history. Russia is really doing a wonderful job exposing real history. Interesting twist. 
I'm hearing the Vatican has the Library of Alexandria in the vaults. Okay, here we go again. It is all being archived now, along with all banking. Rothschild no longer owns the Vatican Bank or the Bank of London. Amazing time to be alive. Uh, Karen, able to shoehorn in some classic conspiracy theorist Rothschild, the Jews have all the money. Anti-Semitic nonsense into the comments. Uh, Alan Turbocharged then replies with, and I just found out that SpongeBob was just fired from the Krusty Krab. <laughs> I mean, life, am I right? Nice. <laughs> uh, he saw Karen's nonsense, raised her with some awesome sarcastic absurdity that I'm not sure she's capable of understanding. Okay, we'll be back. Let's get out of here now. Idiots of the internet. Next on our tour of the ancient seven wonders, the massive temple in of Zeus in Greece. We did a whole suck on the Greek gods. Suck number 162. We learned a lot about the uh, very rapey adventures of Zeus. I pronounced, uh, as I recall, 100% of the words accurately, if I'm remembering the feedback correctly about that episode. Uh, the temple of Zeus was known as the most important building in the sacred grove of Zeus or the sacred precinct in Olympia. It was in a regular quadrangular area of more than 200 yards on each side, walled except to the north, where it was bounded by the hill of Cronus. The temple of Zeus stood at the center. It was the largest temple in the Peloponnese and was considered by many to be the perfect example of Doric architecture, which basically is the Greek architecture, those big-ass columns and cool sculptures. It was built by the Aeleans, a group of Western Greeks, from the spoils of the Trophilian War and dedicated to Zeus. Construction began around 470 BCE, was completed before 456 BCE, when an inscribed block was let into the uh, east gable to support a gold shield dedicated by the Spartans in commemoration of their victory at Tanagra. Tanagra, the architecture, the architect, dude, my God, the architect, ha <laughs> words, was Liban, maybe, couldn't find a pronunciation guide, of Ellis. The sculptor of the impediments is unknown. Impediments are the cool sculptures of generally half-naked people in the triangle space above the columns at each end, also known as the gable ends. Uh, Liban's work on the temple is Zeus, would go on to inspire the Parthenon of the Athenian Acropolis. The temple, uh, peripteral hexta-style with 13 columns at the sides, has an east-west orientation required by Illuminati decree. The columns, 34 feet slash 10 and a half roughly meters high and seven feet slash two and a quarter meters in diameter at the base, were of local shell limestone covered with white stucco. Only the pedimental sculptures, roof tiles, and lion's head water spouts were of marble. On the floor of the open passages, which are called uh, Pruneos, are the remains of a Hellenistic mosaic with representations of tritons. In front of the Pruneos is a small rectangular space paved with hexagonal marble slabs where the victors were recognized. Uh, the cella was divided into three naves by double rows of seven columns. At the far end stood the, oh, Chrysolephatin, okay, statue of Zeus, which is the main reason this space is recognized as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, by the way, um, Chris Elephantin. Chris, Chris Elephantin. Chris Elephantin. Uh, it's a super fancy word for a statue made of ivory and gold. That's easier to say. Statue made of ivory and gold. Uh, imagine how much a giant statue made of ivory and gold would be worth today. Tens of millions of dollars? Hundreds of millions? Created by Phidias uh, around 430 BCE, the statue believed to be almost 40 feet high. Uh, described by Greek geographer and traveler uh, Pausanias and depicted on ancient coins. It portrayed Zeus sitting on his throne probably reflected on his most recent sexual assault committed while in the form of a swan or something. He's holding a scepter in his left hand, winged victory in his right. A winged victory, a big-ass bird, or sometimes a half-naked woman with wings. That's, that's I prefer that one. Uh, the undraped parts of the Zeus statue were of some seriously pronounced eight-pack abs made of ivory while the robe and throne, the latter decorated with relief of mythological scenes, were made out of gold. Beneath it all, the statue was made out of wood. 
So the statue wasn't entirely gold and ivory. Still, I bet probably hundreds, if not thousands of pounds of gold alone on it. After the uh, abolition of the Olympic Games, the statue was carried off to Constantinople where it perished in a fire around 475 CE. On each side of the temple, there were uh, opulent cultural decorations, part of an overall artistic movement at the time known as the severe style. On the east side of the temple were sculptures depicting the chariot race between Pelops and Onimaeus, which was overseen by Zeus himself, according to legend. The west pediment depicted the battle of the Lapiths and Centaurs, arranged around the central figure of Apollo. There were 12 metopes, rectangular spaces with statues or paintings between architectural designs called triglyphs that depicted the labors of Zeus' most famous son, Hercules. I've heard of him. I think Eddie, I think, uh, Eddie Murphy or something. Uh, the temple was ultimately burned by order of Roman Emperor Theodosius II in 426 CE. Why? Well, Emperor Constantine the Great had made Christianity the official religion of Rome over a century earlier in 313 CE, and Emperor Theodosius II was sick of all the amazing historical structures, now considered filthy, heathen, pagan relics. Bummer. So he's like, fucking tear it down! Uh, badly damaged by the fire, the statue finally toppled down after earthquakes or the structure uh, toppled down in 551, 552 CE. Excavations of the temple were initiated by the French in 1829, were later completed by some Germans. Uh, pieces of the sculptural decoration of the temple have been restored and are now on display in the Olympia Archaeological Museum located in Olympia, Greece. While the metopes, oh boy, uh, removed by the French expedition of 1829 are now in the Louvre. Okay, now let's take everything we just learned. Let's take most of those words I got right and some of those words I got wrong about the Temple of Zeus and just flush it all down the toilet. Idiots of the internet. Under a video titled The Temple of Zeus in Olympia, Seven Wonders of the Ancient World, uploaded, uploaded by CU in History slash Mythology, Landy A2C gives us all hope that just because this place was destroyed 1,500 years ago, that doesn't mean we can't still see it for ourselves. You know, we can not We can still see it, how it looked in its heyday. You, you just have to remember, right? Just remember it. I'll, I'll let Landy explain. Landy writes, memories can be saved in lightning condition. Expert can be expert because of memory RAM. You can remember all your experiences and knowledge that you've learned in past life. And hence, you learned faster than others. So, you know, that's, that's fucking, that's pretty cool. Just remember, you guys, you remember faster than others. Just focus on your past life memories. Marvel at the beauty of the Statue of Zeus. I think that's what they were writing about. If you're not able to do that, you're just, you're not trying hard enough. Landy, Landy can do it, I think. I mean, I, I, it's hard to understand what they were writing. Joseph Handabody believes that the temple was built to honor an alien. He writes, sorry. All gods are just aliens. If supernatural spiritual beings, why would there be records of fighting and death of the gods? Huh. Another meat sack who has a hard time understanding ancient folklore. Maybe this maybe this person reads about the Trojan War as if it was a fucking documentary. Why why do the gods die? I mean, it's written right there. The gods die. So they couldn't be gods. Gods can't be gods anymore, I guess. I don't know. Uh, this last comment has nothing to do with Zeus, but it was left in the same comment section. And it's too, what the fuck is going on here crazy for me not to share? Alexander, ascend you writes, majority of humanity was created on earth, meaning not incarnated from the spiritual realms, meaning not created with real, eternal, and indestructible souls. LOL. Majority of humanity was created after the demonic invasion. Majority of humanity was created by soulless cloning, gene splicing technology. Majority of humanity is not written in the book of life. Majority of humanity are not eternal beings that can't enter the spiritual realms. Majority of humanity goes to the lake of fire because majority of humanity is not incarnated this guy needs a fucking thesaurus. Uh, from the spiritual realms not created with eternal 
indestructible, complete souls and created by demonic soulless cloning technology. Billions of people are atheists because they sense subconsciously they are not eternal beings and cannot enter spiritual realms. Billions of people don't believe in reincarnation because majority of humanity lacks the ability to incarnate because they are not created with internal, indestructible, complete souls. LOL. <laughs> I love the LOLs. All satanic society members can't repent and will go to the lake of fire for eternity, all caps, eternally deprived of everything except pain, suffering, torment, tortures, LOL. Good riddance. <laughs> Holy shit. I wonder how many bodies are in Alexander's basement. The majority of humanity. LOL. I bet he's super fun to be around at family gatherings. LOL. I bet he's never held up a bunch of weird signs and yelled at strangers through a megaphone about the end times in a public space. LOL. Let's get out of here. Idiots of the internet. Now let's move out of Greece and into Turkey for our next two ancient wonders. Right after today's sponsor break, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. 
I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it though, and it was canceled. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. Rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I'd stopped eating them almost entirely a while back because the bread on top of the sugar from the jelly made me so sleepy. All those carbs causing me to want to take a nap after eating them. Enter Hero Bread. Hero Bread takes the fear of carbs out of bread, but still leaves you with that delicious bread taste. Hero Bread has zero to one gram of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber. It's also delicious and flavorful. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a savory breakfast burrito or mouth-watering cheeseburger. There is something for every craving, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. And there are monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites, like the two grams of net carbs Hero Croissant or the one gram of net carbs Hero Cheddar Biscuit. I had a loaf of Hero Classic White Bread delivered last week. Soft, fluffy, and delicious. Five grams of protein per slice, and it's high in fiber. And the best part? Hero Bread doesn't taste healthy. It tastes like bread. It's great. Don't give up on being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's TIMESUCK at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Thank you for listening. Now, a return to wonder. First, the Temple of Artemis. Temple of Artemis at Ephesus is located at the western coast of Asia Minor near the town of Seljuk of modern-day Turkey. It was built in the 6th century BC over 2,500 years ago. So massive, roughly twice the size of the Greek temples, including the Parthenon, it was a must-stop on Greek tourists' list of kick-ass shit to see. It was destroyed and rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt many times over its existence. Today, only the foundations and a single cobbled-together column stand as a reminder of the site where once stood the greatest temple in the ancient Mediterranean, which is saying a lot. They had a lot of cool temples. Ephesus was a Greek colony on the eastern coast of Asia Minor, founded in the 8th century BCE, although there had been Greek settlers in the area from around or beginning around 1200 BCE. The Greek goddess Artemis, known as Diana to the Romans, was particularly important to the Ephesians. Artemis was the goddess of chastity, hunting, wild animals, forests, childbirth, and fertility. Uh, the goddess's cult at Ephesus included Eastern elements, which were basically lifted from uh, goddesses such as Isis, uh, Sibylle, and the mistress of the animals. Interesting. Lucifina used to know Artemis. Uh, she thought she was a bit of a bummer, actually. Not a lot of fun. Bit of a goody two-shoes. She preferred the company of Aphrodite. Hey, Lucifina! According to Pliny the Elder in, its, in his natural history, the temple has its most massive measured, uh, the temple, excuse me, at its most massive, measured 425 feet in length and was 225 feet wide. Damn, that is huge. Almost double the size of the 5th century BCE Parthenon in Athens, almost uh, a third longer than a football field and about 30% wider as well. It had 127 columns, which were 60 feet fucking high and four feet around. Six story tall columns. If you're near a six-story building, look at it for reference. When I was working on this initial part of the research, uh, I looked out and there was a four-story building across from the coffee shop. And I was like, oh my God, that's that's pretty big. And then I was picturing two more stories. 
in this ancient giant temple. It was gigantic, right? Man, those, those giants, those poor labor giants must have had to work their giant asses off, build that temple, throwing those big columns over their big ass giant shoulders. You know, probably not getting 15 minute breaks every four hours or something. Uh, the columns were arranged in a double row on all four sides, eight or nine on the short sides, 20 or 21 on the long sides. Those columns on the facades were decorated with relief figures from Greek mythology. The decorative frieze, the temple carried scenes involving Amazons who were in Greek mythology, supposed to have sought shelter at Ephesus from Hercules. The, temple, the temple's um, architrave blocks, the beams above the columns or doorways, are estimated to have weighed 24 tons each. Strong-ass giants carrying those out there. And the feat of engineering that put them in place led to the Ephesians believing it was the work of Artemis herself that did it. According to Vitruvius, a Roman author, architect, and military engineer, in his writing on architecture, the cult statue of Artemis, which stood within the temple, was made of cedar wood. Man, what a pain in the ass it must have been to make statues back then. Out of wood, marble, just whatever. With such rudimentary tools compared to now. What a, what a pain in the ass to have made anything back then compared to now. Uh, the foundations of the temple have received some attention, first by Pliny the Elder, who praised the engineer and sculptor Theodorus of Samos for preparing them on marshy ground, thus mitigating the effects of earthquakes. Pliny also notes the alternate layers of sheepskins and packed charcoal were used to provide the necessary stability to support the massive weight of the structures about to be built on top. Excavations of the site in 1870 did indeed reveal that the foundations of the temple were composed of layers of a soft mortar substance and charcoal. Uh, layers of marble chips and charcoal have also been discovered in 20th century excavations, but neither explanations have uh, found evidence of sheepskins. Uh, crazy how this thing was destroyed in the 4th century BC. The temple was partially destroyed by a fire deliberately started by some asshole named Herostratus, who became one of history's most infamous arsonists. His whole goal was to be famous for committing this crime. His act prompted the creation of a law forbidding anyone to mention his name orally or in writing. They were so pissed at this guy. According to the Greek writer Plutarch in his biography of Alexander the Great, the great Macedonian leader was born on the very same day that the temple of Artemis burnt down around July 21st, 356 BCE. Remembering that Artemis was the goddess of childbirth, Plutarch noted, it was coincidence which inspired Pegasius of Magnesia to utter a joke which was flat enough to have put the fire out. He said it was no wonder that the temple of Artemis was destroyed since the goddess was busy attending to the birth of Alexander. But those of the Magi, uh, oh boy, ha, Magi, those of the Magi who were then at Ephesus interpreted the destruction of the temple as a sign of a far greater disaster. And they ran through the city, beating their faces and crying out that the day had brought forth the great scourge and calamity for Asia. How weird to think about that I doubt he was just being colorful with his language. Right? People were probably like running around screaming, you know, like smacking their face, ah, just like like panicking, complete and utter panic. <laughs> that when the temple fell down, like they were all going to be just crushed by the gods. <laughs> so afraid for so long. And then eventually they're like, oh, all right, I guess, you know, I guess that temple falling down didn't have shit to do with shit. You know, sometimes things just, things just fall down. <laughs> I feel a little silly right now for <laughs> running around screaming and slap myself in my face. A uh, new temple would be rebuilt in the same spot, following the same design as the original, even better according to historian Strabo. Excavations, though, have revealed the Hellenistic temple was slightly smaller than its predecessor, measuring some 344 by 180 feet, with columns 58 feet high. In addition, the new version was placed on a higher base to make the temple more imposing. Strabo also notes that Alexander, visiting Ephesus in 334 BC, offered to pay the expenses of the ongoing construction if his name appeared on an inscription on the finished temple, and then the Ephesians refused his offer, not because, uh, you know, they were being cocky, but because one unnamed man declared that it was not correct for one God 
to present gifts to another God, as in Alexander's a God. And instead, the Ephesians paid it for themselves by having a collection of the citizens' personal jewelry gathered up. Uh, I wonder what that guy was hoping to get from kissing Alexander's ass that hard, like just putting Alexander's dick like that fucking deep down into his throat. We can't, we can't have a God as you obviously are a gift to another God. You're the same thing as the gods are. Uh, Pliny the Elder described the temple as the most wonderful monument of Grecian magnificence in his work, Natural History. Uh, Pausanias, the second century CE Greek travel writer in his description of Greece described the size of the temple as surpassing all buildings among men. Ephesus continued to be an important city uh, well into Roman times, was made capital of the Roman province of Asia after 129 BCE. The prosperity brought unwelcome attention, though, and the temple of Artemis was destroyed yet again, or at least plundered by a Germanic tribe known as the Goths. I've heard of them. During their invasion of the Aegean area around 267 CE. Damn it, Goths! Damn pagan plunderers! Finally, after being rebuilt or restored a final time, a Christian mob, inspired by the decree of Roman Emperor uh, Theodosius, Theodosius, uh, again, against pagan practices in 393 CE, definitively destroyed the temple in 401 CE. Well, if it's not the pagans, it's the Christians. That's that's why we can't have anything, everything nice, all right? Uh, in the following centuries, the area gradually became covered by silt from regular floods, even as Ephesus itself continued as an important uh, Byzantine city until it was captured by the Turks in 1304 CE. Uh, blocks in the temple were reused and many buildings at Ephesus, a common practice in antiquity. A lot of these ancient wonders did end up just getting recycled, which, you know, kind of a bummer, kind of cool, I guess. Temple of Artemis was so well-known and interesting to humanity that it was the very first ancient site that 19th century CE Western archaeologists deliberately went digging for. It was found in 1869 by John Turtle Wood. Excavations began under the auspices of the British Museum in London. They discovered several important artifacts, such as fine marble figures of Artemis dating to the first and second century CE. The remains of the Great Temple were also found, and during another series of excavations, beginning in 1904, more details were revealed. The oldest artifacts, typically offerings made of precious metals, date back to the 7th century BCE, long ass time ago. Several capital and column pieces discovered from the 6th century CE version of the temple, while one of the best finds was a magnificently carved column drum from the Hellenistic version. The drum, which has several figures carved in relief, including Hades, Persephone, and Hermes, is now in the British Museum. Today, all the remains of the temple are its foundations and a single column that has been erected from composite remains, which, rather than giving the impression of lost grandeur, kind of just gives a sad vibe to the site, which was once the, uh, you know, most impressive site, arguably, in the ancient Mediterranean. Uh, incredibly, the edits of the internet don't have a lot to say when it comes to the Temple of Artemis. When it comes to the ancient seven wonders, the pyramids get about 99% of all of their wacky, or the pyramids get about 99% of all of their wackadoodle attention. But fear not, I did find a, fu a fun couple of comments. Idiots of the internet. Uh, the following comments appeared under a History Channel video called Lost Worlds, The Seven Wonders. Full episode, season two, episode one, history. So many conspiracy channels have gotten uh, banned from YouTube. It's gotten way harder than it was a year or two ago to find wackadoodle comments. Thank God for the History Channel. That's where they all seem to conglomerate now. Uh, YouTube viewer Rob Below apparently missed the part in this video where it stated that the Greeks wrote the list of ancient seven wonders, and that is why all the wonders are around the Mediterranean. Rob writes, the Temple of Artemis is not all that great compared to Angor Wat. Typical Western centricism. Uh, typical not paying attention to the video before leaving a comment, Rob. Typical typing more uh, than you listen, which maybe you should flip that around. Uh, Angor Wat was built in the 12th century CE, so not nearly as ancient. 
Uh, the Greeks didn't include it on their list because they didn't know about it. And even if they could have traveled everywhere around the world, they still wouldn't know about it because it wouldn't be built for another 1,400 fucking years. Uh, William Chrysler thinks, I'm guessing, that AI is behind the ancient seven wonders because William writes, artificial intelligence brings the end. Okay. Uh, not disagreeing, actually, William, but there are a lot of other comment threads you could have found to leave this comment in that would have made way more sense. Maybe like under a video about artificial intelligence or under, you know, like a, like a trailer vid from one of the Terminator movies. Uh, finally, um, I don't know what the fuck Rasputin Disclaimer 101 is talking about when they left the following comment in the thread other than he or she does not buy the official narrative being sold by mainstream historians regarding any of the seven wonders, I think. They write, this is a work of fiction and solely the property of the original creator or creators. Any names or characters, businesses or places, events or incidents are factualized to the best of the author's knowledge at the time of the recording. Any resemblance or resemblances to actual person or persons living or dead or actual event is purely coincidental. We do not take responsibility for the decisions taken by the viewer based solely on the information provided in this video, nor do we take responsibility for decisions taken by the viewer based solely on the information provided by this virtual application, any dimension visited, or any dark energy absorbed or manifested. I feel like Rasputin Disclaimer 101 is an especially smug idiot. Like one of those people who feel like they have all the answers, but actually have none. People just toss out some word salad gibberish and then smile knowingly, <laughs> okay? As if they have said something profound. Oh, and we're done with it again. Idiots of the internet. We will stay in Turkey for the next ancient wonder, the mausoleum at Halicarnassus. The mausoleum at Halicarnassus was a large and fancy as fuck mausoleum built both to honor and hold the remains of Mausolus of, oh, Kyria. There we go. Mausolus of Kyria. Uh, and if you're thinking, who the fuck is Mausolus? Well, you're not alone. That's exactly what I thought when I first read this. I'll explain in a second. Uh, when Mausolus died in 353 BCE, his wife Artemis ordered the construction of this vast structure in their capital city, Halic in their capital city, Halicarnassus, which is now called Bodrum in modern Turkey. Ultimately, both Mausolus and Artemis would be buried inside. This mausoleum, large above-ground tomb, um, you know, uh, ended up being, actually, mausoleums in general ended up being named after this dude, which are just large above-ground tombs. Uh, and his lasted for nearly 1,800 years. That's a long time to have a tomb stand. Eventually, nearly all of the stone would be taken and hauled off to be used in nearby building projects, most being used to build a crusader castle. More of that ancient recycling. So who in the hell was this Mausolus guy? Upon the death of his father in 377 BCE, Mausolus became the satrap, a regional governor, in the Persian Empire for Kyria. Although only a satrap, Mausolus was so revered, was, excuse me, was revered like a king and ruled for 24 years. Mausolus was descended from the indigenous herdsmen of the area called Koreans, uh, but appreciated Greek society and culture. He encouraged his fellow uh, Koreans to leave their lives as herdsmen and embrace the Greek way of life. Mausolus was uh, all about expansion and progress. He moved his capital city from Malassa to the coastal city of Halicarnassus and then worked on a number of projects to beautify the city, including building a large palace for himself. Uh, Mausolus was also politically savvy and thus able to add uh, several nearby cities to his realm. Again, he was more like a king than a governor. When Mausolus died in 353 BCE, his wife Artemis, who also happened to be his sister, was really sad. Uh, surprised it took so long for incest to work its way directly into one of these ancient wonders. We've encountered it so many times in the ancient world. I still can't get used to it. Sister and his wife. Uh, what did those two talk about when they were laying in bed after sex? 
hey, you remember when we were kids and we didn't used to fuck each other? Uh, his wife, sis, wanted the most beautiful tomb built for her departed husband, bro. Sparing no expense, she hired the very best sculptors and architects that money could buy. It's unfortunate that uh, it's unfortunate that Artemis died just two years after her husband, bro, in 351 BC because she would not get to see the crazy thing she had being built completed. Built from about 353 to 350 BCE, there were five famous sculptors of that time that worked on the exquisite tomb. Each sculptor had a portion that they were responsible for. There was Bryaxis, the north side, Scopus, east side, Timotheus, the south side, uh, Leo Charis, maybe, uh, the west side, and the chariot on top was created by Pythias. And all of it, of course, was assembled by giants. It was the architects working with giants or aliens or both. Probably giants using alien texts and human architects. If I had to guess, if I had to pick one thing. Uh, the structure of the mausoleum was made up of three parts, a square base on the bottom, 36 columns, nine on each side in the middle, and then topped by a stepped pyramid that had 24 steps. Very intricate. All of this was co uh, covered in ornate carvings with life-size, larger-than-life statues all over the place. Very decadent. All at the very top was the piece de resistance, the chariot, this 25-foot-high marble sculpture. That is a fucking big sculpture of standing statues, or consisted of standing statues of both Mausolus and Artemis, riding in a chariot pulled by four horses. Much of the mausoleum was made out of marble, and the entire structure reached 140 feet high. 14 stories high! A 14-story high tomb! Not the Great Pyramid of Giza, but still, holy shit. Imagine seeing a 14-story tomb down at the cemetery. <laughs> that is preposterous. That is gigantic. Although large, the mausoleum was known more for its ornate sculptures and carvings and for its size. Uh, most of these were painted in vibrant colors. There were also friezes that wrapped around the entire building. Uh, these were extremely detailed and included scenes of battle and hunting, as well as scenes from Greek mythology that included such mythic animals as centaurs. Fuck yeah. Uh, after 1800 years, the long-lasting mausoleum was destroyed by earthquakes that occurred during the 15th century CE in the, re in the region. During and after that time, much of the marble was carried away in order to build other buildings, most especially a crusader fortress held by the Knights of St. John. Some of the elaborate sculptures were moved into the fortress as decoration. In 1522 CE, the crypt that for so long had safely held the remains of Mausolus and Artemis was finally raided. After that, and after more of the ruins were raided, people ended up forgetting exactly where the mausoleum of Halicarnassus stood. Houses were built on top. In the 1850s, British archaeologist Charles Newton recognized that some of the decorations at Bodrum Castle, the Crusader Fortress, as it was now called, could have been from the famous mausoleum. After studying the area and excavating, Newton found the site of the mausoleum, and today the British Museum in London contains statues and relief slabs from the mausoleum of Halicarnassus. What a fun time to be an archaeologist, right? Find these things after they've been lost for so long. And we will actually skip the edit to the internet for the mausoleum of Halicarnassus. They used up all their dumb comments on the other six wonders. We'll hear from them again with the last two ancient wonders. Uh, we head back to Greece for our sixth ancient wonder, the Colossus of Rhodes. The history of the Colossus of Rhodes begins with the siege of the Greek island of Rhodes when Demetrios Paliokates, maybe, king of Macedon in 305 BCE attacked the city to try and subjugate the people of Rhodes. When Demetrios was defeated, he abandoned his siege machinery at Rhodes, a considerable amount of it. Uh, the Rhodians decided to celebrate their victory by either melting down or selling all of the siege machinery and using the material and money to build a massive statue of their favorite god, Helios. The task was assigned to the sculptor Char uh, Chares of Lindos, and it took him 12 years from 304 to 292 BCE to complete it. From its construction to its destruction, a space of just 56 years, the Colossus of Rhodes did not last long, just long enough to earn a place in the famous list of ancient wonders. Uh, Pliny the Elder said, even lying on the ground, it is a marvel. To build the Colossus of Rhodes, the workers cast the outer bronze skin parts, 
chosen to help resist the ravages of the sea. The base was made of white marble, and the feet and ankle of the statue were first fixed. The structure was gradually erected by giants, maybe, as the bronze form was fortified with iron and stone framework to reach the higher parts. An earth ramp was built around the statue and was later removed. Or giants, you know, rode on top of each other's shoulders, or that. Uh, when the Colossus was finished, it stood about 110 feet high. After it fell, to give you a taste of its size, Pliny wrote, few people can make their arms meet around the thumb. Think about that. Putting their arms around it, like hugging it, they couldn't have their hands touch. Most people on the thumb of this giant-ass statue. Why did it fall? Fucking earthquake again. Strong earthquake hit roads around 226 BCE. The city was devastated. The Colossus was broken at its weakest point, the knee. Uh, the people of Rhodes actually received an immediate offer from Ptolemy III of Egypt to cover all restoration costs for the toppled monuments. However, an oracle was consulted and forbade the re-erection. Said the gods didn't want to rebuild it. Ptolemy's offer was declined. Fucking oracles. If it's not the pagans or the Christians, it's a fucking oracles. Uh, for almost a thousand years, the statue lay broken and in ruins. Then in 654 CE, the Arabs invaded Rhodes. They disassembled the remains of the broken Colossus and supposedly sold them to a Jewish man from Syria. It is said that the fragments had to be transported to Syria on the backs of 900 camels. And that all comes from one ancient source that wasn't written until the 13th century. So I'm going to say bullshit. <laughs> that just seems... I, I don't buy that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to file this one dude came over with 900 camels <laughs> to take all the pieces back to Syria. I'm going to file that in the fucking doubt it folder. Uh, it has long been believed that the Colossus stood in front of the Mondraki Harbor, one of the many in the city of Rhodes, straddling its entrance, possibly free-balling, letting those giant stone balls fill some of that ocean breeze. That never happened. Sorry, that for sure never happened. Given the height of the statue and the width of the harbor mouth, this would be impossible. The harbor mouth is, is just too wide. It's around 150 feet from edge to edge. Uh, but to And I did that kind of with some Google map, uh, you know, looking at how, how, how many feet this, this inch on the map equals, kind of applying that. So that's a rough estimate, but it's at least, at least that wide. And then to have the feet planted firmly on the ground, you know, you're probably going to need like, I don't know, 200 feet of width total. Uh, and and, and if a unless a statue is made of a dude like doing the splits, he'd have to be a lot taller than the 200 feet because the average shoulder width for a guy is 16 inches. The average height, 69 inches. So let's say the statue is standing with their feet spread out twice as wide as shoulder width. Anything wider than that's just going to look super fucking weird. That would mean it would need to be three times as tall as it was wide to look symmetrical. And it wasn't said to be 600 feet tall. It was said to be 110 feet tall. Still huge, but not just straddling the harbor, you know, huge. Plus, the fallen Colossus would have blocked the harbor entrance when it fell. It, it, it did not. No historian, you know, references that. A recent study suggested it was erected either on the eastern side of the Mandraki Harbor or even further inland. Although we don't know exactly uh, what the, or we don't know exactly what the Colossus of Rhodes look like, modern reconstructions with the statue standing upright are thought to be much more accurate than older drawings. Uh, so who was Colossus again? Some version of Helios. And who was Helios? The god of the sun. While it was not specifically the subject of a widespread cult uh, across Greece, many people, including Socrates, would greet the sun and offer prayers to the sun each day. Helios was particularly worshipped in Rhodes. Here, he was the most important deity, a patron god honored by the Halia uh, Festival, which were the highlight, which was the highlight of the island's religious calendar, and Pan-Hellenic Games, like the uh, you know ancient Olympic Games. In the Hellenistic period from 4th to 1st century BCE, Helios and the sun, or the god Apollo, excuse me, would become basically the same god. So Colossus, an amalgam of Apollo and Helios. And there was a relation between Colossus and the Statue of Liberty. 
uh, the Statue of Liberty in New York. The ancient world wonder inspired modern artists such as the French sculptor Auguste Bartholdi, who is best known by his sort of famous work, the Statue of Liberty. Both monuments, symbols of freedom. The Statue of Liberty has been referred to as a modern colossus, is 305 feet tall. American poet Emma Lazarus wrote a sonnet named the New Colossus in 1883 to raise money for the construction of a pedestal for the Statue of Liberty. In 1903, the poem was cast onto a bronze plaque and mounted inside the pedestal's lower level. So an ancient wonder, you know, uh, influencing a, a modern wonder. So that's the mainstream story on the Colossus of Rhodes. Now let's check in for some alternative thoughts. Idiots of the Internet. Uh, returning to that History Channel video comment section for a couple more interesting theories, Heather Smith knows what really happened to the Colossus statue, writing, I know what happened to the Statue of Colossus. The French took it and gave it to New York as the Statue of Liberty. Interesting, Heather. <laughs> the French were even better at hiding big shit than they were at making big shit. <laughs> that is interesting that they could hide a massive ancient sculpture for so long and magically, you know, make it bigger the longer they held it. Man, you would think that someone would have noticed the French hiding a giant fucking statue for centuries, if you think that is. Uh, Kevin Carter doesn't know much, but he knows that the Colossus of Rhodes and the other seven wonders were not built by some bullshit fifth human race. Open your eyes, sheeple. Or maybe they were built by the fifth human race, but uh, but probably the seventh. I have, no, I have no fucking idea what he's talking about. He wrote... They say, <laughs> and this is one of those all caps comments, every, every word, every letter capitalized. They say it was built by the fifth human race, all the pyramids and everything that look technical or is technical, and we are actually the seventh human race. Thank you, Kevin. Oh, man, that, all of that gibberish was important enough to be capitalized. Uh, finally, Nicholas Long doesn't want us to forget about volcano kilns. The classes of Rhodes was clearly forged in a volcano, I think. That might be what he's saying. He writes, the kilns you are looking for are the volcanoes. That is a good source of energy with a very interesting composition of off gases that are impregnated the tempered material very finely. <laughs> what? That impregnated the tempered material very finely. Think about uh, metallurgy. Heat, carbon, ammonia, chlorine, all the elements to heat, treat, and temper various metals such as materials such as all alloys and ceramics slash glasses. If we got real good, we could power nations with this. Oh, that's crazy, Nicholas. That's crazy that, that scientists aren't looking primarily at volcanoes. The power of the nations of the world. It's almost like they know something you don't. I like how you, how you think that people could somehow get close enough to a fucking volcano, like an active volcano, to, to put some metal in there. Like to have, to, to have like some kind of blacksmith situation like in the volcano crater. Oh man, that's, that's my head starting to hurt. Let's get out of here again. Idiots of the internet. One more comment section coming up, and I think that's I think that's all I can take. <laughs> so I start getting confused. I'm like, what? Uh, the final of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world is the one that there is little to no evidence uh, that there is little to no evidence left of its existence. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon. This is the one where there is the most debate as, as to whether it existed or not. Greek and Roman texts paint gorgeously detailed pictures of the luxurious Hanging Gardens of Babylon. If the legend is true, amid the hot, arid landscape of ancient Babylon in Mesopotamia. Lush vegetation cascaded like waterfalls down this huge 75-foot-high, beautifully terraced, intricately you know, decorated garden. Exotic plants, 
you know, herbs, flowers of various colors, dazzled the eyes, fragrances emanated through the towering green thumbs, wet dream. Also had plenty of impressive statues, you know, tall stone columns. Babylonian king uh, Nebuchadnezzar II was said to have constructed luxurious hanging gardens in the 6th century BCE as a gift to his wife, uh, Amitus, who was homesick for the beautiful vegetation and mountains of her native Media, the northwestern part of modern-day Iran. Uh, part of what makes this an ancient wonder excuse me, is, the ancient, is the idea of making the desert bloom with life. It would have taken an unprecedented feat of engineering and horticulture to pull this off. Scientists think that a pretty complicated system of pumps, water wheels, and cisterns would have been employed to raise and deliver the water from the nearby Euphrates River to the top of the gardens. And there would have had to be the right shading for various types of plants. Uh, would anyone have had the agricultural knowledge to keep all those plants alive? Uh, sadly, there are no firsthand accounts of the desert oasis. The multiple Greek and Roman accounts of the hanging gardens were secondhand and, and really more like 20th hand. Uh, they were written centuries after the wonder's alleged destruction. Finding firsthand evidence of the Hanging Garden is, is one of the holy grails of archaeology. A group of German archaeologists uh, spent two decades at the turn of the 20th century trying to unearth signs of this ancient wonder without any luck. The lack of any relics has caused skeptics to question whether the supposed desert wonder was just, an his, just a historical mirage. However, Dr. Stephanie Daly, a retired fellow, a research fellow and part of the Oriental Institute at England's Oxford University, believes she has found evidence of the existence of this legendary nightmare for people with allergies. In her book, The Mystery of the Hanging Garden of Babylon, an elusive world wonder traced, published by Oxford University Press, Daly asserts that the reason why no traces of the hanging gardens have ever been found in Babylon is because they were never built there in the first place. But she thinks they were built. Right idea, wrong place. Daly, who has spent the better part of two decades researching the hanging gardens and studying ancient cuneiform texts, believes they were constructed 300 miles to the north of Babylon in Nineveh, the capital of the rival Assyrian Empire. She asserts the Assyrian king, oh boy, uh, Sennacherib, <laughs> Sennacherib uh, built the marvel, uh, not Nebuchadnezzar II, and he built it in the early 7th century BCE, a century earlier than scholars had previously thought. So even more wondrous, according to Oxford University, Dali, who is a scholar in ancient Mesopotamian languages, found evidence in new translations of the ancient text of King uh, Sennacherib uh, that describe his own un unrivaled palace and wonder for all peoples. He also mentioned a bronze water-raising screw similar to Archimedes' screw developed four centuries later that could have been used to irrigate the gardens. Recent excavations around Nibia, or, uh, boy, recent excavations around Nineveh, there we go, I think, uh, near the modern-day Iraqi city of Mosul have uncovered evidence of an extensive aqueduct system that delivered water from the mountains with the inscription, uh, Sennacherib, king of the world, over a great distance, I had a water course directed to the environs of Nineveh. All right. Crazy that it may have built, uh, been built in the 7th century BC over 26 centuries ago. Uh, bas reliefs from the royal palace in Nineveh depicted a lush garden watered by an aqueduct. And unlike the flat surroundings of Babylon, the more rugged topography around the Assyrian capital would have made the logistical challenges in elevating water to the gardens far easier for an ancient civilization to overcome. Dali explains the reason for the confusion of the location of the gardens could be due to the Assyrian, the Assyrian conquering of Babylon in 689 BC. Following the takeover, Nineveh was referred to as the New Babylon, and uh, Sennacherib even renamed the city gates after those of Babylon's entrance. entrances. Uh, Daly's assertions could debunk thoughts that the elusive ancient wonder was a historical mirage, but they could also prove that the Hanging Gardens of Babylon are mislabeled and should truly be the Hanging Gardens of Nineveh. And that is all the info we put together for the ancient seven wonders of the world, almost. I have a few more theories to go over. The last one is my favorite for today. 
Pulling these once again from that damn History Channel video. It feels like they cater almost exclusively to the ancient aliens crowd and they get some interesting comments. Uh, first up, Juanito Paliz has found the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and you can find them too. You just have to look inward. Juanito explains, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon is real. You can find it in our hearts. Now, that's adorable. Uh, Juanito, I mean, it's fucking stupid, but that's adorable. Uh, next, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon sparked a random thought for Dean Miles that he apparently just had to type out and hit enter. He ponders, what if we took Earth's atmosphere and put it straight onto Mars? If magic was possible, how would Mars react? Uh, okay, Dean. Uh, yeah, what if we did that? I mean, you know, if magic was possible, I guess Mars would just react however the fuck we wanted Mars to react because, you know, magic. I mean, if you open up the door to magic powerful enough to move one atmosphere from one planet to another planet, why are you asking how that planet would react? You fucking tell it! How to react, Dean? It reacts how the fuck you want it to react based on the magic. What kind of wizard are you? Last one. I love this. Orange koala bear thinks the hanging gardens of Babylon may still be around. They just got moved. They just got, you know, they just, they got lost in a very weird place. Orange koala bear writes, what if the garden still exists? Like, you know, they were moved to Brazil or something. And then you can hear the sarcasm hitting the keys when Pierce D. Dunn types out the following reply. Yeah, they just picked it up, put it on a boat, and put it in Brazil. God, I hope Orange Koala Bear is, is being serious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just over a thousand years ago, you know, some ancient mariners just crossed the fucking Atlantic and, you know, brought a giant 75-foot-tall stone structure, you know, shit ton of plants, ancient sophisticated gardening equipment, then just rebuilt this massive garden in a totally foreign land facing a local population that was, you know, possibly hostile, facing all kinds of predators, you know, in the fucking Amazon. And then after rebuilding this garden, I guess they just, they love it so much, they just hang around and just multiple generations just tend to this fucking garden, hidden out in the jungle. No one cares that much about a garden. <laughs> the, only, the only way someone would care that much about a garden is if the garden, if, if you could grow gold. If you figured out how to grow gold, or, or maybe pussy. If a few horny ancient dudes figured out how to grow pussy, they might try to do something like that. <laughs> and for sure they would if it was gold or precious stones. But even if that was possible, why would you go that to Brazil? Oh man, I hope you're high when you typed all that out, Orange Koala Bear. Or I hope you're like no older than like 10 or 11. If you're older than 11, stay in school, you little weirdo. Idiots of the internet. That was fun to revisit that segment, at least for me. Uh, I haven't done it in so long. And I don't think ha we've ever broken it up like that. Man, all those YouTube comment ideas. I do get the appeal of wackadoodles who claim to have all the answers, right? The longer I've researched this past almost five years, the less sure I am uh, in many ways as to what the real story is about so much because I've just come across so many contradictory accounts of so many stories. I've realized that historians, theologians, uh, you know, they're all just as flawed as you or I. Even when I try my best to be objective, I'm never 100% objective, you know, I'm human, just like every journalist and archaeologist. Everyone's looking to present some sort of narrative. And, uh, you know, when, when you're doing that, sometimes the narrative will bump up against truth and then sometimes the truth will bend a little bit to fit the narrative. Even when lies aren't told, sometimes certain truths are omitted to fit the narrative. And because of all the biases out there interjected into the sea of information on the web, it gets really hard to figure out what's truly going on in a lot of cases. It's infuriating. And because of that, I can see how it's tempting to just make this mental decision to say, you know what, fuck it. The group of people in this weird chat room or this weird cult leader the people who wrote, you know, the guy who wrote this weird book, they're right. I just, I just need them to be right. I'm tired of trying to figure shit out, 
right? So often they seem so very certain about what's really going on, these wackadoodles. I'm sure the emotional appeal of giving up on trying to figure shit out yourself and listening to them is, you know, it's strong. But then eventually, I feel like if you're paying attention at all, you know, if, if you choose to let any of your brain cells still get a little bit of exercise, you eventually realize that they don't know any more than you, don't you? I mean, if you retain any sense of independent thought, don't you eventually come back to wondering what's really going on in this strange rock floating through space? Why am I here? Why are the pyramids here? What is the purpose of all of this? Or maybe not. Maybe some people can just really check out and just accept that the answers at their echo chamber are thrown back at them, no matter how ludicrous, are just truth. Must be nice. If ignorance is bliss, the idiots of the internet, they have to be some of the happiest motherfuckers on earth. What a fun world they get to live in. Okay, let's move on to more wonder right now. Uh, really quick, uh, right after I am so sorry about this, uh, we have one last sponsor. Today's Time Soak is brought to you by the new A&G show, Maybe It's Giants, hosted by David Hatcher Childress. Hi, uh, David Hatcher Childress here. Uh, you might know me from Ancient Aliens. Now I have a new show because it, you know, might not necessarily always be aliens or, you know, ancient aliens. Because sometimes when looking at huge ancient relics, I often stop and think and wonder, maybe it's giants. The pyramids might have been constructed with alien technology. I'm not saying that didn't happen, but you know, maybe it's giants. Each week on Maybe It's Giants, I explore a topic that has been explored already on ancient aliens, and I look at it in an entirely new way, wondering, maybe it's giants. I mean, those rocks would be hard to lift, but maybe it's giants. That tower would be hard to set stones on top of, but maybe it's giants. How did they lift that incredibly heavy ancient piece of gold? Maybe it's giants. So be sure to tune into Maybe It's Giants with David Hatcher Childress Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Central Time on A&G this fall, directly following new episodes of Dog the Bounty Hacker. With his signature long blonde locks, sleeveless vest, Oakley's sunglasses, Dog the Bounty Hacker is all over the interwebs, bringing criminals down. And now he's got even more new cool sound bites. Grinning like a possum, eating a sweet tater. If I don't catch you now, I'm gonna hack you later. And other phrases like, meaner than a wet panther and slicker than owl shit. If I can't hack my way in with JavaScript, you can suck on my man tits. Dog, the Bounty Hacker, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Central Time this summer on A&G, and then stay tuned for Maybe It's Giants, hosted by David Hatcher Childress. Okay. All right. Done with that now. Building out a whole fake programming schedule for a fake network. It's a little confusing, because I think on one show I said fall, and one show I said summer. But, you know, you, you get it. Back to the actual show now. Uh, stay with me, new listener. I'll stay on track for a while now. <laughs> so now we've sucked these seven ancient wonders of the world. Uh, but there are tons of other amazing sites that exist, whether created by middle-aged humans, modern humans, uh, nature itself. We won't go on the modern humans today, but we're going to look at the middle-aged humans and nature. Uh, there's a highly debated list of the seven wonders of the Middle Ages uh, that is worth noting. Also called the seven wonders of the medieval period. Now, the names uh, of this list, misnomers, the Middle Ages, aka the medieval period, supposed to have lasted from approximately the 5th and the late uh, the 5th to the late 15th century, many of the places on this list don't even come close to these uh, dates. This list is more like seven old-ass wonders, not on the original list of seven old-ass wonders. Uh, the Great Wall of China, which contrary to pop popular belief cannot be seen from space, is on everyone's list. 
Construction of the truly great part of this wall lasted from the 14th to 17th century CE, so it fits uh, the time period, just, you know, barely. Uh, the visible wall theory was shaken after China's own astronaut, uh, Yang Liwei, said he could not see the historic structure from his space capsule in 2003. Since the Great Wall is a massive point of cultural pride and Chinese school children have been taught for years that the Great Wall was so great you could see it from space, this was a bit awkward. Uh, Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield, who spent five months aboard the International Space Station in 2012-2013, reiterated the fact about the Great Wall's invisibility from space. I'd always wondered about this claim, right? Because I remember hearing that as a kid. You could see it from space, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Because the wall isn't ever that big in one place. It's just really long. Being really long, I wouldn't think would, would help you see it from space. Like, if it was super big around in one place, that would help. You know what ancient wonder you can see from space? The pyramids at Giza. The shape and size pop out enough from the desert landscape around them that on a clear day, you can absolutely see them. Uh, very cool, I think. Uh, back to other wonders from the Middle Ages, the Colosseum in Rome is another one that shows up on this list. Not from the Middle Ages. Uh, built in the first century CE. Uh, Stonehenge in England on this list, not even fucking close to the Middle Ages. Built around 3000 BCE, so just a bit outside. Uh, the Holy Mosque, Hagia Sophia in Turkey, Another popular popular entry built in the early 6th century CE, so that tracks. Uh, others on the list include the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy, built in the 12th and 13th centuries, perfect. The Porcelain Tower of Nanjing, China, early 15th century, that plays. The Catacombs of Kam el-Shokafa in Alexandria. Uh, also, you know, of course, Alexandria, Egypt, uh, 2nd century CE, so not, not in the Middle Ages. There are other sites that are certainly in contention to be part of the very arbitrary number of seven wonders of the Middle Ages, like the Cluny Abbey in France, 10th century CE, or the Ely or Eli Cathedral in England, 7th century CE. The Cairo Citadel is another, 12th century CE, one of the most popular tourist attractions in Egypt. Taj Mahal, a majestic and romantic monument, one of the most symbolic structures in India, 17th century, too late for the Middle Ages. Uh, we didn't feel like this list was defined enough to really spend a lot of time on it, as cool as these places are. Instead, we chose to focus on another list of the places that came up, uh, you know, in this list of Middle Ages as well. Three of the places that we just went over actually also appear in the Seven Wonders of the World, an updated version. Almost 21 years ago, in 2000, a Swiss foundation launched a campaign to determine the new Seven Wonders of the World. More than 100 million votes were cast on the internet or by text message. And the final results announced in 2007 were met with, you know, some people being super happy and other people being outraged. Uh, a number of prominent contenders like Athens Acropolis failed to make the cuts, but a lot of cool places did. So let's check them out. Once again, Great Wall of China on this list. Of course it is. It's a crazy construction feat. Arguably the world's largest ever construction project. Uh, the Great Wall of China widely believed to be about 5,500 miles or 8,850 kilometers long. A disputed Chinese study claims length is 13,170 miles or 21,200 kilometers, 21,200 kilometers long. Uh, easy, China. You don't need to keep kicking out that much propaganda, right? You're huge and powerful. Calm down. Learn how to lie better. Maybe don't almost triple the actual length in your claim. We do have satellite photos. You're going to get called out. Uh, only 8.2% of the original wall remains intact with the rest in poor condition, according to a 2007 archaeological report done by uh, China, approved by the Chinese government. Uh, feels like they were just counting everything, right? Uh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, that thousand-mile stretch of barbed wire fence that runs uh, on the you know the scrawny, rickety fence posts hammered into the ground every fifty yards. Uh, that's the Great Wall of China. That's part of it. That repelled the Mongols several times. Go ahead, push on one of those posts. They're way more solid, than you might think. Uh, anyway, work began in the seventh century BCE, continued for two millennia. The early centuries of the wall, 
Uh, not what you think of when you look up picks on the web today. The Ming Dynasty built a massive stone and brick fortress like wall complete with roughly 25,000 watchtowers beginning in the late 14th century. Barracks positioned all over the structure. Uh, typically every 11 miles, a beacon tower was built into the wall. This allowed fire or smoke signals to pass information such as news of an impending attack quickly down the wall from one fortification to the next. That in turn would allow commanders to move troops quickly to where they might be needed. Uh, the size of the wall on average stands between 16 and 26 feet in height, 20 feet wide at the base, 16 feet wide at the top. On the top is smooth stone. The crown of the wall would act like a road for ferrying troops. It's, it's so impressive. Amazing to look at pictures of this wall. One of my favorite wonders. And the Ming Dynasty built 3,700 miles of the wall in this fashion. That's a long fucking massive wall. If you drove clear across the continental United States, if you drove from the very tip of Maine, right, the northeastern tip of Maine, from near like the town of Caribou, all the way across North America to Seattle, Washington, you would still have 600 miles of wall left to go if the wall was alongside you that entire trip. You could drive for several days on the freeway and have a massive centuries-old wall off to the side the entire time. That's crazy. Uh, prior to the modern section of the wall, the old wall was made out of mounds of dirt, uh, more hastily thrown together, kind of stone and wood. Few remnants of that, you know, uh, early wall still exist. The wall was built to prevent invasions and raids. Uh, it actually largely failed to provide actual security. It was just uh, too long to properly defend, required too much manpower. Uh, instead, scholars have noted that the wall served more as political propaganda. It provided the illusion of power and security of power more than actual power and security. Um, next on the list of wonders is Chichen Itza. It says Chichen Itza. I've heard it pronounced both ways. It is a, a Mayan city on the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Uh, it flourished in the 9th and 10th century CE. This is the one, uh, the first one that we've talked about today that I've actually uh, been to and seen. The first one we've talked about in depth so far. Uh, Lindsay, Kyler, Monroe, and I visited Chichen Itza a couple summers ago. Big stepped pyramid popping out of the jungle. Uh, and, these, and other, you know, temples, just uh, incredible to get close to. A thunderstorm rolled in while we were there. It felt, you know, mystical. Got to see some lightning strike not far out in the distance behind the old pyramid. And then got uh, caught in this crazy thunderstorm. Had to run our asses off back to the rental car. Absolutely getting dumped on. Dodging shit, falling out of trees as the wind was blowing. Running through mud, laughing our asses off. Uh, one of my favorite vacation memories. Under the Mayan tribe Itza, who were strongly influenced by the Toltecs, a number of important monuments and temples were built here. Among the most notable structure here is the pyramid, um, El Castillo, the castle, uh, the one I just talked about seeing, which rises 79 feet above the main plaza, a testament to the Mayans' astronomical abilities. The structure features a total of 365 steps, the number of days in a solar year, built between the 8th and 12th centuries CE. So unfortunately, probably not by giants, maybe aliens on this one. Uh, during the spring and autumn equinoxes, the setting sun casts shadows on the pyramid to give the appearance of a serpent slithering down the north stairway. At the base is a stone snakehead. The temple was built, this is not coincidence, the temple was built to, uh, to honor the Mayan god Kukulkan, the feathered serpent. Uh, Chichen Itza was also home to the largest ancient sports field of its kind in the Americas. <laughs> I remember looking at this when I was there This and, and reading about this. On, on the field, the Mayans played a ritual ball game uh, thought to be called Pocketalk, popular throughout pre-Columbian Mesoamerica. Uh, losers of a match of Pocketalk were often killed as it was a major way to settle disputes and prevent, you know, war. Reliefs on the walls of the old sports uh, complex show victors holding up their losers' heads. Like, they, they would behead the losing team. Holy shit. And this game was crazy, just in and of itself. It's a combination of basketball and soccer, but super hard to play. Um, part of the difficulty 
from of playing that I imagine came from knowing that you know you get your fucking head cut off if you lost. Uh, the object of the game was for two opposing sides to try and hit this hard rubber ball into a stone hoop placed up at both ends of the playing field. And what made it really hard is you could only pass and shoot the ball using your thighs and hips. You heard me right. Only your thighs and hips. I was like, how could you even play this? And I found a video on YouTube of people playing this game recently in Mexico. Some traditionalists trying to bring it back. It is crazy, as you would imagine. They got this, you know, uh, rubber ball, like um, somewhere in between the size of, I would say like a softball and a volleyball. And they're just hitting this thing with their hips. And when it like rolls on the ground, they will slide down into the ground and bop it kind of back up with their hips and, you know, pass it off their upper thighs. Uh, I was not surprised in the video when they talked about the nasty bruises they constantly get. I do not think I'll ever try playing this game. It looks terrible. And can you imagine playing that game when if you lose, you get executed? Oh my God. Can you, play, can you imagine playing any game where the stakes are that high? God, that would suck. Uh, it'd be great for the fans though. Would be great for the fans. Holy shit, what a game. Talk about fucking hustle, right? With those stakes, everyone's diving for loose balls. Everyone's fighting for rebounds. No one's coasting. Can you imagine how intense the Super Bowl would be if on live television, they executed, they beheaded the losing team. Like guys cry now when they lose the Super Bowl. Imagine the tears when the bus goes off and the executioner squad rolls in, right? Fast ass wide receivers, cornerbacks trying to sprint away from getting fucking chased down and beheaded. Guys cry now when they win. How much would they cry <laughs> if they had made a comeback victory? Just barely missed being beheaded. You know, where they were one drop pass away from death. Just imagine some reporter, sideline reporter talking to Tom Brady after another Super Bowl victory. Uh, what are your plans now, Tom? <laughs> I'm going to do this. This world, whatever. I'm so fucking happy to be alive. I waved to my kids after I let that last play go, and I just thought that was the last time I was ever going to see them. I thought they were going to, I'm sorry, I thought they were going to, I thought they were going to see their dad get his, his fucking head cut off, and I, and I just want to also add, rest in peace, Patrick Mahomes. God damn it, I, I hate that he had to get his fucking head chopped off. He's really, he played a hell of a game. Are you still thinking about coming back next season? Oh, oh no, hell, <clears throat> hell yeah. No, hell yeah. I just love to play another day, baby. Woo! Uh, next up. On the list of new wonders. God, that is, I can't stop thinking about that ever since I read about that, about the end of the Super Bowl. One entire team gets fucking decapitated <laughs> on the on, on the field. And then they go to the victors. So what are you doing? And they, and they still have to say, I'm going, I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> Next up on the list of new wonders that are mostly super old places is the ancient city of Petra, Jordan. That, this place looks so fucking cool. I've wanted to visit this place ever since I've seen pictures. It's located in a remote valley nestled among sandstone mountains and cliffs, uh, purported to be one of the places where Moses struck a rock and water gushed forth. Accessed via a narrow canyon called al I think. Could not find a pronunciation guide for that canyon name. Uh, not to save my life. Uh, watched a lot of people's vacation videos, though. Uh, contains tombs and temples carved directly into pink sandstone cliffs, earning its nickname the Rose City. Later, the uh, Nabataeans, an Arab tribe, made it their capital, and during this time, it flourished, becoming an important trade center, especially for spices. Uh, noted carvers, the uh, Nabataeans chiseled dwellings, temples, tombs into the sandstone, like elaborate temples, dwellings. Uh, would, you know, it would change color with the shifting sun, the sandstone. It looks so pretty. In addition, they constructed a water system that allowed for lush gardens and farming at an amphitheater. At its height, Petra reportedly had a population of 30,000 people. Uh, the city began to decline. Uh, however, as trade routes shifted, a major earthquake in 363, uh, 363 CE caused more difficulty. And after another tremor hit in 551, Petra was 
gradually abandoned. Stupid earthquakes! The most formidable enemy to engine wonders. Although rediscovered in 1912, it was largely ignored by archaeologists until the late 20th century. Many questions still remain about the city. In 1989, it was introduced to the world via Hollywood and the Indiana Jones franchise. That year, the city's carved rose-red sandstone facades were featured in the blockbuster Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, the film Petra stood in for where Indiana Jones finds the Holy Grail. It looks like the kind of place, if you were to find the Holy Grail, where you would find it. Uh, highly recommend you check out pictures of Petra's treasury. It's, it's incredible. Uh, next uh, is one of the most amazing and popular sites in South America, uh, Machu Picchu, Peru. I have been to this one as well on a bucket list trip a couple years ago. It was the wonder I wanted to see the most. Uh, this Incan site near Cusco, Peru was discovered in 1911 by Hiram Bingham, who believed it was Vilacambamba's uh, secret Incan stronghold using the 16th century rebellion against Spanish rule. Although that claim was later disproved, the purpose of Machu Picchu has confounded scholars. Bingham believed it was home to the Virgins of the Sun, women who lived in convents under a vow of chastity. Bummer. Uh, others think that it was likely a pilgrimage site where, while some believe it was a royal enclave. What is known is that Machu Picchu is one of the few major pre-Columbian ruins found nearly entirely intact. Despite its relative isolation high in the Andes Mountains, it features agricultural terraces, plazas, residential areas, temples. It was super cool to walk around this ancient mountain city and think about what life might've been like there once. Also, if you ever get a chance to go, it is the best people watching. Holy shit. Uh, it's beautiful there, but it's not really that peaceful, at least pre-COVID, uh, because it was super fucking crowded all the time. They like they have a capacity limit and they let in the max capacity every day. You have to book it way in advance. Uh, Pre-COVID, at least, unless you were part of some special scientific expedition or you're, I don't know, sucking someone's dick who works there, you were never going to wander around Machu Picchu when it was quiet and empty. But I watched so many people just wait, like they would go, because you know it's a big area and they would find some corner, they would get the angles just right to make it look like, and there's areas of Machu Picchu where not everyone can go to. So you can frame your picture and make it look like you're there all by yourself if you wait you know, long enough. And there's, I, I watched people who'd wait like five, 10 minutes and then they would do some IG model pose or some like serene yoga pose. Uh, yeah, just to get this picture that looked like they had the place all to themselves and they were just living in this state of Zen. I would look, Kyler and I would look up captions, you know, that, that people made into these photos later and just laugh. I looked up some uh, recent captions from, from IG posts from Machu Picchu for this research. And it's just stuff like, believe you can and you're halfway there. Pure energy, heart open. If you don't chase what you want, you'll never have it. And I know those are very sweet messages, but it's just, I've never seen more people take more contrived photos than when I was there. That being said, it did feel cool there. It, it did feel nice to be around the ruins and I didn't want to leave. Uh, next on the list, compiled in 2000, is Christ the Redeemer, a colossal statue of Jesus that stands atop uh, a mountain in Rio de, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, overlooking the city. It orig its origins date to just after World War I when some Brazilians feared a tide of godlessness. So they proposed a statue to save the souls of Rio de Janeiro. Construction began in 1926, was completed five years later. The resulting monument stands 98 feet tall, not including its base, which is about 26 feet high. Its outstretched arms span 92 feet. So no colossus of roads, but pretty damn impressive. Largest art deco sculpture in the world. Christ the Redeemer is made of reinforced concrete covered by uh, approximately 6 million tiles. The statue uh, also gets struck by lightning a bunch. That's kind of weird. Not sure what that means. Uh, Lindsay's seen it. She worked as a stylist on one of Rihanna's tours years ago. And she got to go all over Europe and North and South America. So cool. Uh, she said it was super awe-inspiring. High on the list of middle-aged wonders, uh, the Colosseum in Rome made this list as well. 
Uh, I also visited this place years ago. I mostly remember how massive it was and how strange it must have been to have been led in there to fight to the death as a gladiator. I also remember getting uh, yelled at by some tour guide. I wasn't on his tour. I was just kind of following him, you know, so I could hear what they were saying because he was speaking English. And he caught me and he wasn't happy because I wasn't paying. Fair. Uh, I visited this place in college. I saved up for a year to be able to do this crazy backpacking and train hopping week. And I somehow pulled it off. Started in London, went to Paris, down to Nice, France, then to Rome, then to Florence, hung out with friends, went to the Isle of Capri, bounced up through Switzerland, back to London. All train rides, nothing but a backpack. Uh, I don't think I ate in a restaurant once on that trip. I would just go to these little uh, cafe or like little, uh, not like a 7-Eleven, but these like little shops and get like a loaf of bread and a big block of cheese. Uh, good old pre-lactose intolerance days and uh, a lot of slices of pizza. Uh, so much bread. Never stayed at a hotel or a hostel, slept at friends' places or slept in the economy sleeper in the train. It, it is amazing how many places you can st- uh, see for super cheap if you have no real responsibilities in life and don't care at all about comfort or safety. Uh, built in the first century by order of the Emperor, Emperor Vespasian. It's a true feat of engineering. Ah, I might've messed up his name. This amphitheater measures 620 by 513 feet, 189 by 156 meters, features a complex system of vaults, and it was capable of holding as many as 50,000 spectators. That's a lot of people for a place built so long ago. Uh, mostly remembered for hosting gladiator fights, stage battles, men fighting animals. Sometimes water would be pumped in the Colosseum for mock naval engagements, which is incredible. They could put on that kind of show. Uh, very, very dark shows uh, there, according to some estimates. Somewhere between 400,000 and 500,000 people were killed in the Colosseum during roughly four centuries of active use. That's over 100,000 dead a century, over 1,000 dead a year. Holy shit. Uh, additionally, so many animals were captured and then killed there that certain species reportedly became extinct. During the inauguration of the Colosseum, uh, 9,000 animals were killed. Some estimate roughly a million animals were killed there. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's a lot. Then all that death fell out of fashion, you know, and then there was earthquakes. Again with the earthquakes. And that put the old arena out of commission. Okay, last on the list, uh, surprising to me at least, last on the list of the new wonders of the world, the new seven wonders of the world, the Sapphire Gentlemen's Club in Winchester, Nevada at 71,000 square feet, 10 VIP skyboxes, three lounges, the world's largest strip club. In 2013, Sapphire Las Vegas opened the Sapphire Pool and Day Club located at the south end of the club. Sapphire Pool and Day Club has seven cabanas and four bungalows. The seven cabanas are located on the main deck. There are two pools there. I'm sure nothing shady ever happens there. No cork coke is ever snorted off of any tits, no dicks, uh, nothing, you know? You can take a limo from the airport to Sapphire as it was voted the best strip club in the Las Vegas area by the Las Vegas Review Journal in 2014. Uh, according to their fact page, they are not a totally nude club, just topless. But I'm guessing sometimes bottoms do accidentally come off on accident, probably mostly in the bungalows. No one seems to know when this place first opened, maybe around 20 years ago. Also, can't wear sweatpants. They have a dress code. Uh, can have a boner. That's encouraged. Uh, and, of <laughs> and of course, that is not the seventh wonder. Uh, but now I wonder, after spending way too much time on their website for a joke that probably isn't even funny, I wonder how some dude named Brian Pfeiffer got hired to work with them. I got into the weirdest word hole, uh, wormhole. I spent <laughs> probably like a fucking hour learning. I don't even care about this place. And I just kept, I couldn't leave the Sapphire Vegas strip club alone because I found this guy, Brian Pfeiffer. He got hired to work with them, do some marketing. He calls himself the marketing meathead and he hosts big VIP parties. Like what? I guess like bottle service at Sapphire, other strip clubs in the Vegas area. And you, you can link to his YouTube channels, which, which I did. And the video that plays automatically there is Brian talking about how he's one of the world's best marketers. But he has, he has less than 12,000 followers. Yes, I was all over socials then. I got into this. I couldn't fucking get out. He has less than 12,000 followers on Instagram, less than 5,000 YouTube subscribers. The actual strip club, Sapphire's Instagram, has less than 11,000 followers. And look, for the average person, those numbers are fine. 
but not for one of the world's best marketers. Come on, Brian. I have over 70,000 followers on Instagram. I'm a fucking idiot with social media marketing. And I don't have a hot dancer's body to draw people in to see my pics. I'm not, a, a, I'm not as attractive as literally anyone on any of the Sapphire Club Las Vegas Instagram account posts. Not a single person. What's going on over there, Brian? I feel like I could do your job better than you. And what's going on with me? Why am I still talking about the Sapphire Club in Vegas? Why am I talking about Brian? Why couldn't I stop looking at his videos? Why does his delusion hypnotize me? You know what? Maybe he is a good marketer. I don't even like this guy. And I've given him a lot of free marketing. Fuck, he fucking got me. I just got fucking Brian. Be, be gone, Lucifina. I went too deep on that joke. Got lost in some bullshit. Okay, I'm back now. The real seventh new wonder of the world. Another one from the medieval list, Taj Mahal. This mausoleum complex in Agra, India, regarded as one of the world's most iconic monuments and is perhaps the finest example of Mughal architecture built by Mughal emperor Shah Juha, who reigned from 1628 to 1658 CE uh, to honor his wife, Mumatz Mahal, known as the chosen one of the palace. She died in 1631, giving birth to their 14th child. Yikes. Took about 22 years and 20,000 workers to construct the complex, which includes an immense garden and a reflecting pool. The mausoleum is made of white marble that features semi-precious stones, geometric and floral patterns. It has a majestic central dome surrounded by four smaller domes. According to some reports, uh, Shah Jahan wished to have his own mausoleum also made after his death out of black marble. However, he was deposed by one of his sons before work began on uh, on another crazy expensive monument. Uh, Apparently, the monument is very fragile despite holding up for hundreds of years. It is wasting away, so check it out soon. And now, one more group of wonders. The seven natural wonders of the world. We'll go a little faster through these. Uh, Thank God these pronunciations are easier for the most part. Uh, And also, this list changes all the time. A lot of websites report the list we're going over as a list picked via some mysterious global poll that's never mentioned specifically. Uh, Some polls have been taken and they end up listing different wonders every time. Uh, The following seven seem to show up on the most websites. But this certainly is not some kind of official list because there's not one. Uh, these do show up on the Wikipedia entry for Seven Natural Wonders. They come from sevennaturalwonders.org and they include the Northern Lights, the Grand Canyon. Uh, oh man, this one. I tried to, I pronounced, I practiced it so many times. Paracutan, uh, Mount Everest, Harbor of Rio de Janeiro, Victoria Falls, and the Great Barrier Reef. Many of these naturally formed displays require an aerial view to capture the vastness of each phenomenon. Uh, First is the Northern Lights. Northern Lights are auroras or naturally occurring phenomena that consist of -of out-of-this-world displays of light in the sky. The Northern Horizon will glow as these lights swim across the sky. The intensity of Northern Lights increases as you head north towards the magnetic pole in the Arctic. Uh, They do do appear uh, at random, basically, so good luck planning a trip around them. They're more often experienced by locals who live in these Northern regions. Some of the most popular places to see Northern Lights are Canada's far north, Alaska, Iceland, uh, Norway, Sweden, and Finland. The probability of seeing Northern Lights increases during the winter months. Uh, they also increase dramatically no matter where you are in the world if you eat enough shrooms. Uh, you take enough shrooms, you can actually see the Northern Lights from anywhere. Uh, you do enough, uh, you can even see them inside. You don't even have to go outside to see them. You don't even have to look up in the sky. You can see Northern Lights all around you. You get it, some of you. Uh, they occur throughout the year, but the dark skies in winter make them easier to see. Uh, next on the list, the Grand Canyon. It's the one that most Americans uh, likely, you know, probably have have seen based on travel stats. It's in Arizona, not too far from Las Vegas and Phoenix. And a neat fact, it's larger than the state of Rhode Island. It's so big, it actually influences the weather. It takes five hours to drive from one side to the other. The Grand Canyon's massive and colorful landscape provides breathtaking views that can't be found anywhere else in the world. It is 
amazing. Uh, it took 6 million years for the Colorado River to erode away the massive canyon. Most visitors head to the south rim of the Grand Canyon, spend a full day checking out the views from roped off tourist areas along the ridges. There's hiking tours where one might encounter the area's most ferocious apex predator, the rock squirrel. If you'd like to play it safe and take it in from a bird's eye view, they give helicopter tours as well. Uh, Grand Canyon located in Arizona. Closest major cities are Las Vegas and Phoenix. I went uh, when I was about 11, 12 years old as a kid with my dad. And I got to say, ever since, uh, sometimes I wonder if, you know, like when my dad was walking off to use the bathroom or, you know, just wherever, did he push any tourists off the edge when no one else was watching, you know, just to kill him, just to feel that stick rush? I don't know. It bothers me. And if you know of anyone who got pushed into the Grand Canyon in the late 1980s uh, and whoever pushed him never got caught, please float my dad's name over to investigators. His name is also Dan Cummins. If nothing comes back, fine. Then I guess, you know, my dad got away with murder again. But maybe get lucky. Maybe you finally nail him. He's a slippery son of a bitch. And a lot of people try to take him down and they've, you know, they've disappeared. So good luck to you. You're the one who can do it. So JK, uh, old joke. If you're not, if you're a new listener and you're wondering if I've just had some kind of psychotic break, uh, third on the list, perhaps the least well-known definitely was for me. I'd never heard of this before this week. Perikutin. Perikutin is a cinder cone volcano located in the Mexican state of Michoacan near the city of Uruapan and about 200 miles west of Mexico city. The volcano was named one of the seven wonders of the natural world over more famous volcanoes for most people like Yellowstone. Why? Well, volcano nerds love it. Actually, it's very cool. Once you get into the story, I understand why they chose it. It's a volcano that did not exist a century ago. February 20th, 1943 at 4 p.m. local time, a crack in the ground shows up kind of out of nowhere. In the middle of this cornfield, this farming family had been working on that same day. The family, other villagers around them had heard the ground rumble for a few weeks beforehand. Sounded like thunder, they said. And then all of a sudden, uh, the dad working this farm, Dion uh, Dionisio Polito, he watches a six foot long crack open up in the ground. And then he hopped on his horse and he got the fuck out of there. Uh, the fissure hissed, smoke came out and real soon flames started pouring out. Ash and lava within the hour fire would be shooting up over 2000 feet into the air. Within a few hours, the fissure would develop into a small crater. Within 24 hours, a cone 150 feet tall had formed. Within a week, the cone was about 400 feet in height. Within four months, 600 feet. Within eight months, the cone was over a thousand feet high. The, the fucking volcano, they just got to watch it form in a, in a less than a year. Uh, curiously, no people died from the eruption, but a few were killed after being struck by lightning generated by the eruption somehow. So weird. Can you imagine if that's your land, your yard? I mean, this is what happened to this guy. It, it, it was his land he was farming. Imagine if it's like where your house sits. What if the mouth of a fucking volcano <laughs> just suddenly opened up in your family room? God, how pissed are you for the rest of your life when you don't get any money because your house didn't have volcano insurance? Right? You're just angry forever. How's it going, Dan? Still homeless. Fuck you for asking. Still lost my house to a goddamn volcano. How do you think I'm doing? Uh, by 1952, when it finally stopped erupting, it was 1,400 feet high. The eruption of Paracutin from 1943 to 1952 marks the first time scientists were able to observe the complete lifestyle of a volcano. <laughs> lifestyle? <laughs> Life cycle. Uh, from birth to extinction. I like lifestyle. You know, they're really able to observe this, uh, those volcanoes lifestyle. You know, this volcano that's cheated on their spouse for a while. Um, you know, fucking got heavy into drugs, kind of came back. I, I know just not the lifestyle we expect from this volcano. Um, just, you know, kind of a dick. Uh, geologists from many parts of the world came to study this extraordinary volcanic event. The, the knowledge gained by these scientists greatly expanded our understanding of volcanoes in general. Uh, and now on to the next what natural wonder. Victoria Falls. Uh, Victoria Falls located in Africa. 
along the borders of Zambia, Zimbabwe. This spectacular waterfall runs off from the Zambezi River. The falls are 5,603 feet wide, more than a mile, and 354 feet high. Uh, while known as the world's largest waterfall, Victoria Falls is neither the highest nor the widest. However, Victoria Falls is, has the largest curtain of falling water going down on the planet, one and a half times wider than Niagara Falls and twice as high. That's, that's insane. So I've been to Niagara Falls, and that is gigantic. And this thing's twice as high and one and a half times wider. Uh, also hosts a rare and beautiful site called the Moonbow, a rainbow at night as light from the moonbeams form off the spray of the water. Sounds mystical. How many wackadoodles have seen that moonbow and started talking directly to God in their minds, right? When they hold their crystals real tight and they stare at that moonbow, that's when they talk to God. Uh, visitors can access the falls from Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe and Livingston in Zambia. Next on the list, Mount Everest with an approximate elevation of 29,029 feet, tallest mountain on earth, over 20,000 feet too high for my taste. Bit too chilly up there for me. It hits a uh, negative 40 degrees Celsius and Fahrenheit uh, often. No, thank you. But it's still on the list. Everest lies within the Himalayan mountain range on the border of Nepal, Tibet. Uh, if you don't want to climb Mount Everest, you can still schedule a flight around the mountain for an awe-inspiring aerial view. Over 300 people have died trying to climb to the top of the world's sort of, uh, excuse me, not sort of, the world's tallest mountain. So think long and hard about making summiting Everest part of your bucket list. Uh, another impressive natural megastructure is the Great Barrier Reef. The reef is located in the Coral Sea off the coast of Queensland, Australia. As the world's largest coral reef, it takes up to it takes up about 133,000 square miles. It extends over 14 degrees of latitude. Uh, it's about the, it's about half the size of Texas. The Great Barrier Reef includes over 900 islands, roughly 3,000 separate reefs, and sustains a diverse ecosystem. It makes up about 10% of the world's coral reef ecosystems. One of the best known, most complex natural systems on Earth. It's allowed humans to flourish because of its abundance contributing more than uh, $6.4 billion each year to the Australian economy and around six, 64,000 full-time jobs, I guess between fishing and just everything that surrounds a reef. Who knows? Who knew? So many jobs could be tied to a reef somehow. Uh, often called the largest living thing on earth, but that's not exactly true. It's made up of thousands and thousands of different coral polyps building on top of one another. Uh, final entry. This one has a really interesting piece of information. Uh, final entry on this list of natural wonders you may want to visit in your life is the harbor of Rio de Janeiro down in Brazil also known as the Guanabara Bay. It's surrounded by granite mountains and pinnacles created by erosion caused by the Atlantic Ocean, the world's largest natural deep water bay in the world based on the volume of water in it. Uh, there are more than 130 islands within the harbor of Rio de Janeiro, including Governors and Snakes Island. And Snakes Island is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> I, I can't believe I had never heard of this place. Why have I never heard of this place? It's, uh, it's 106 acres big. It's been estimated to have as many as, and this is not one of my lies. I know sometimes I, I, I probably say that and then it is one of my lies. Maybe I haven't done that yet, but I will at some point. But today, you can trust me. Uh, estimated to have as many as 400,000 snakes on it. <laughs> 400,000 snakes, 106 acres. That's a lot of snakes per acre. Around 4,000 of these snakes are golden lancehead pit vipers. Their venom is said to basically, quote, melt human flesh. Uh, you get bit, and I saw this on a few little mini documentaries. Uh, that people just say that there's a real good chance, almost certainly, uh, you are going to die a very painful death. Fuck that island. 60 Minutes Australia did an episode on this island called The Deadliest Place on Earth. And yeah, uh, the footage is, is as horrific as you might imagine. Uh, to be fair to that that one snake that I mentioned, that, uh, oh man, what was it called? The, the Golden Landshead Pit Viper. Uh, researchers were able to create a type of blood pressure medication from their venom. 
some ACE inhibitors that now around 40 million people worldwide use. So some good came out of this nightmare of an island. Uh, when Charles Darwin visited this bay in 1832, he said it seemed almost unreal. Uh, it's not just a snake pit. There are plenty of areas with not too many snakes, also famous for beaches, very famous beaches like the uh, Copacabana and Ipanema beaches, also home to that Christ the Redeemer statue we already talked about. So, you know, it makes, makes quite the sight. You can knock off two wonders in one place. So much wonder. The world is an amazing place, right? Did today's suck make you want to travel? It did for me. So many incredible relics and natural wonders to explore around the world. Now that things are opening up more and more, I can't wait to start trying to travel again. Uh, I actually loved being home. It's beautiful here, but so much beauty elsewhere around the world as well. So many mysteries to explore, so much to admire. And we didn't even dig into modern marvels. What new wonders are being built right now? What will be the next Pyramid of Giza or Colossus of Rhodes? You know, now we do have giants to help us build. Really, you know, giant machines. We have a space station. By the end of the century, odds are we're going to have a small city on Mars. What else are we going to have? We got 3D printing, getting more and more advanced all the time. What new, never-before-seen structures and wonders lie ahead? Fun to wonder about wonders. Now, let's wrap up. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, humans love to build big shit. Whether it's an unprecedented stack of rocks in a desert to commemorate a god king or carving elaborate dwellings in the sandstone, a city's worth, our superpower as humans is to change our environment to work for us. Number two, of the seven wonders of the ancient world, only the Great Pyramid remains intact. Amazingly, these seven monuments only exist at the same time for about 60 years thanks to all the fucking earthquakes. Number three, while nature took down many of the wonders, others were destroyed by people for various reasons, ranging from war to the changing of religions, Ruins of a few of these can still be seen today. In many cases, rubble from one monument was used to build other now historical structures. Bummer that we can't see the original ruins today, but very cool that ancient people recycled. Number four, next time you lose a game, any game, be glad you didn't lose a game of Pocket Talk at Chichen Itza a thousand years ago and have your fucking head cut off. Number five, new info. We've talked about the uh, most impressive monuments in human history, but what about the weirdest? What are the seven weirdest wonders of the world? Of course, there's a list for that. There's several lists. Here's the one we found. Uh, if you're in Texas, first one, around Amarillo, there's a monument to Cadillacs. It's called Cadillac Ranch. And basically, it's just a row of Cadillacs stuck hood first vertically into the dirt. Uh, they're highly graffitied. You're encouraged to add your own art. No one really knows what the fuck's going on out there. Uh, the creators of a group called Ant Farm Art Group made this in 1974 and hoped it would, quote, symbolize the dreams and hopes of the American people. Huh. It does look pretty cool. Feels like a pretty negative view of the American dream, though. Are all dreams destined to crash into the dirt? Uh, the second one on the list, known simply as the fork, it is what it sounds like. It's a 26-foot fork. Six out of the waters of Lake Geneva in Switzerland. Sounds like a boating disaster. The pointy ends are pointing into the water, thank God. The fork was originally supposed to be a temporary exhibition of the uh, company Nestle, where, which is located in the same village, but the city decided to keep it because it, be it became very popular. Uh, weird thing is, while this fork is the most famous fork, it's not the only fork out there or the largest as far as like giant forks. In Springfield, Missouri, there's a 36-foot fork. <laughs> and in Creed, Colorado, there's a 39-foot fork. A lot of forks out there. A lot of people spend time making forks. Uh, in Chile, there's another interesting monument that makes almost no sense. It's called Hand of the Desert. I mean, it is it is cool looking. It's, a, it's just a giant fucking hand statue. It's like it's, like it's coming out of the, the ground of the Atacama Desert, the driest desert on earth. The artist that made it uh, says he was seeking to express emotions such as loneliness, vulnerability, and pain through uh, this sculpture. Uh, also seeking to express, you know, creeping people the fuck out, maybe. 
I like it, but it's very creepy looking. The Headington Shark in Oxford, England. Another odd wonder. Bill Hine asked his sculptor friend John Buckley to create this work to protest against the use of nuclear power after the attacks in Japan and the Chernobyl accident. The uh, local uh, local authorities gave Heine a hard time at first as he did not have a permit for this installment, but in the end, the 26-foot-long, 440-pound shark managed to stay in place. And the place it is is so weird. I'd be pissed if I was this guy's neighbor. It looks like a giant shark fell out of the sky and crashed headfirst through the son of a bitch's roof. It's so It makes the whole neighborhood look so fucking weird. Another weird monument, the fifth, can be seen in Prague in the Czech Republic. This one's even weirder than the last one. Uh, it's called Man Hanging Out. Uh, literally just a bronze statue of a dude hanging with one hand on a pole extending out over the street. Like a life-size, you know, dude. Uh, the monument was created uh, for the father of psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud. It's super creepy because from most angles, it looks like a dude who's hanged himself high above the street. It looks like someone who has died. The point of the piece was to demonstrate just how uncertain the future of intellectualism is in the West. Okay, looks like a dude hanging himself. Uh, then we quickly moved to France to check out Le Pousse de César, a massive statue of a thumb. I mean, Pousse, I, <laughs> I hesitated to say it that way, but it might be that way. I couldn't find the right uh, pronunciation. It's, it's created the sculptor César Baldessini, conceptualized it in 1965 for an exhibition on the hand. And this structure was so successful that the city of Paris decided to keep it. And I don't think they should have. I hate it. I'm not going to lie. Art is subjective. And this is one of the ones that I'm like, the other ones, I'm like, okay, maybe creepy, weird. But I'm like, okay, this still looks pretty cool. This one, I just, I hate. It's uh, it's a giant thumb over 40 feet tall. It's a big-ass thumb sticking out of the ground. Uh, it gives me the feeling that, like, it looks like there's a hand attached to it, and it's about to rise up out of the ground and start smashing people. And then last on the list of seven weird wonders of the world, a very strange roller coaster, roller coaster for your feet. It's uh, oddly named the Tiger and Turtle Magic Mountain. It doesn't resemble either a tiger or a turtle. It's meant to represent the speed of a tiger, the roller coaster part. It looks like a roller coaster. The visitors themselves represent the turtle. Um, and then instead of like a, a car on this roller, what looks like a roller coaster track, it's just a bunch of steps. It resides in the German city of Duisburg, where the creators of this stroller coaster, I see what you did there, uh, wanted to create an element that paid homage or homage to the city's steel industry and introduced a, a decorative element into the landscape. This thing is built like a Hot Wheels track and comes complete with the big loop-de-loop where you will once and for sure learn how difficult it is to walk on stairs when you are upside down. Once and for all. I don't know what I just said earlier. Uh, no word as to how many people have fallen to their deaths yet. Uh, they actually do have the upside down part gated off. I feel like it's a matter of time though before someone makes it over that gate and Darwin awards themselves off the planet. And those are the seven weird wonders of the world. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The seven wonders of the ancient world and so much more have been sucked. So much wonder sucked. Uh, I'm glad I know now that there are really no real lists. I mean, the ancient wonders of the world, that list has remained pretty stable, but there's, it's all arbitrary. You know, people write lists. One person writes one list. One person writes another. It's not like the whole world ever voted on, on this shit. So if you're in a disagreement with somebody over some official wonder, just know that there's a lot of official wonders and that really none of them are official wonders. Hail Nimrod. Uh, thank you to the Bad Magic Productions team for all the help making time suck. Queen of Bad Magic, Lindsay Cummins, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, script keeper, Zach Flannery. Uh, took lead on this one, thanks to Bitelixir. Working on a very cool web redesign with Logan the Art Warlock. Working on an eventual reskinning of the Time Suck app into the Bad Magic app. Always a lot going on here behind the scenes. Uh, my mother-in-law was out this week and she kept, uh, you know, out staying with us. She kept saying 
over and over how amazed she was that it took so much work from a small group of people uh, to create these podcasts, right? I think a lot of people just think, oh, you just show up and record. Uh, not exactly. A lot of work, but very fun work. Uh, thanks to Liz Hernandez and her all-seeing eyes for all her work on social media engagement. Thanks to all those in either our current incarnation of the Cult of the Curious private Facebook group or in one of the many fun subgroups out there or in many of the groups. Thanks to Beefsteak and the Mod Squad keeping Discord fun. Uh, next week on Time Suck, we go back to, I'm very excited for this one. We go back in time to 19th century New York and meet a man who will change the entertainment industry forever. Albert Fish. Showbiz! That's how to do it in Hollywood. Peanut butter. Uh, no, we already met him. Uh, we meet a real showbiz legend, P.T. Barnum. That's right. We're going to go full circus next week. <laughs> uh, born Phineas Taylor Barnum. Barnum was a legendary entrepreneur long before he became the showman that history uh, would note him as. Born on July 5th, 1810 in Bethel, Connecticut. P.T. Barnum was just a young boy when he began his first business venture, selling candy to local kids. And that would lead to clerking for a store, which would lead to running a store, which would lead to opening a lottery, which would lead to opening a network of lotteries, then a newspaper, more stores, and his American Museum in New York City. Barnum had a mind for entrepreneurship. He had a mind for how people thought, how their emotions could be manipulated through the things they read and heard. He knew that if he delivered something they were pleased with, they wouldn't be too bothered about the techniques he used to sell it to them. His first exhibition as a showman was uh, an elderly slave woman named Joyce Heth, who Barnum claimed was the 161-year-old nurse of George Washington. I should say elderly former slave woman. Uh, when controversy over her real age flared up, Barnum didn't fret or apologize. He joined in. Often he would create his own controversies by writing editorials to newspapers that claimed his exhibitions were fake. All this did, of course, was send more people to buy tickets to see for themselves as if it was fake or not. Genius. He really leaned into that whole no publicity is bad publicity sentiment. Barnum was a master manipulator, also a great showman. He lied to get people in the door, but once they got in the door, showbiz! His museum, later his circus, truly something wonderful, something that gave hundreds of thousands of people entertainment. So who exactly was this master manipulator? How did he get the press to work for him? Who were some of the strange people that he exhibited as human curiosities? How cruel is that? At his core was Barnum an unethical showman sociopath or benevolent entrepreneur. All this and more next week on Time Suck. Not for that music. I didn't think I'd make it that long. And now let's head on over to this week's Time Sucker Updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. First update. Knowledgeable longtime sucker Tony L has an update to some World War One related info I conveyed in last week's Carl Denke Suck. Or excuse me, uh, that'll be in two weeks ago. Two weeks ago is Carl Denke Suck. Uh, Tony writes, Master Suck, I hope this little note finds you and the Queen doing well. Listening to the new suck, I caught a pre pretty significant factual error. You state that a large number of German civilians also died during the war because of all the fighting that took place in Germany. This is tragically wrong. In fact, not a single shot was ever fired in anger on German soil during that war. This is significant because it was a major factor in the stab in the back myth that contributed mightily to Hitler's rise. I.e., how can you lose a war that your army spent fighting entirely on conquered territory unless, of course, your country was betrayed from within by a fifth column? Thank you so much for all the great information and entertainment. Crazy U.S. laws made me laugh longer and harder than I have in weeks, if not months. I really needed that right now. Keep on sucking. Hail Nimrod. Be well. Tony L. Tony L. Uh, you made me worry on this one that I really fucked up, which I, which I for sure do for some from time to time. Uh, clearly on pronunciations, always. Uh, on this one, though, I think I should have just clarified the numbers better. Unless I went rogue off of my notes, which I don't think I did for that info, I said that a large number of German civilians, roughly half a million, in fact, uh, died in World War I, but not because of fighting directly. 
after I, I just said they died. Uh, after the war, the German government argued that approximately 763,000 German civilians died during the war, actually, because of the Allied blockade. The Allied blockade that lasted from 1914 to 1919, aimed to prevent war supplies from reaching Germany, also targeted, you know, inadvertently the German or the, yeah, the civilian population. It cut imports down to 20% of their pre-war volume, and between 478,000 and 800,000 German civilians died from diseases related to hunger and malnutrition. So you're right. They weren't shot and killed on German soil, but they did die because of the war. Also, glad you liked crazy U.S. laws. Uh, that was a fun one. Keep on sucking, Tony. Uh, keep an eye on me. I definitely could have conveyed that info better, and I will make plenty of mistakes going forward. Uh, funny sucker Alex Gear sent in something that made me laugh, and I wanted to share it. See if you'd laugh too. Alex writes, <laughs> this killed me. Hey, fellow Meat Sacks and Bad Magic family. I was just listening to Triumph over Unbelievably Tragic. I was just listening to Triumph over Unbelievable Tragedy, that time sick episode, and Dan went on a tangent about having a golf ball-sized blister on his balls that he squeezes from time to time and almost passed out last time he tried to pop it. <laughs> so gross. He went on to say that he was joking, and that if you have balls on your balls, you need to get them checked out. Well, at this point, I was laughing out loud, but not because of that joke, because my best friend has a ball on his balls. He has not gotten it looked at by a doctor. Uh, it did take longer than it probably should have. When one testy is about double the other, it's called a hydrocele and it's a fluid-filled sac on the testicles. We called it his Death Star. <laughs> As we all love Star Wars, by the way, the Empire did nothing wrong. It's not dangerous, typically goes away by itself. Anyway, just wanted to share my laugh. I hope you have a sucky day. With peace and love, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Oh my God. I love that you guys nicknamed his ball on his ball, the Death Star. And I'm glad your friend got, got his extra ball taken care of. Yeah, uh, always get your extra balls checked out. A ball on your ball can also be cancer. So, you know, don't fuck around with those bonus balls. Uh, now for a Cummins Law victim. I always enjoy these. Embarrassed meat sack, Brandon James writes, Greetings, Master Sucker. I've been a fan of your comedy for years as well as an avid listener of all your podcasts. As for the purpose of my email, I work quite long hours. So all your podcasts get me through some lengthy nights. I decided to start with a new Timesick episode, Crazy US Laws, recently. Proved to be the wrong choice. At work, we got a new supervisor in our building. About an hour to my shift, he came around to introduce himself. To be respectful, I quickly took out my headphone to greet him without pausing the episode. Somehow my headphones became disconnected from my phone. The episode started playing through the speakers. As luck would have it, uh, I was at the part in the episode about the Maryland law against profanity. As I was shaking my new supervisor's hand and asking him how he was doing, the answering voice came blaring from my phone saying words such as ball licker, but ball tickler, but butt fucker, butthole. <laughs> Just that long stream of consciousness of all those with zero context. I quickly grabbed my phone and paused the episode, turned back to my supervisor, immediately apologized to him, tried to explain what I was listening to. He just shook his head and said, have a good rest of your night with a weak smile. <laughs> I never thought I would fall victim to the Cummins law, but you got me, you sweet son of a gun. Love the work you and the rest of the badge mad. Love the work. You and the rest of the bad magic team do. Hail Nimrod. Uh, Brandon. Uh, thank you, Brandon. Holy shit. Uh, he happened to hear the most ridiculous part of that episode. Terrible timing for you. Uh, good timing for the rest of us. Hope you and your supervisor have had better meetings since. Uh, if not, I uh, hope you don't have to see him that often. Also, if it's been a little while and he still can't see the humor in that interaction, yeah, fuck him. Hope he gets fired. Uh, before we get to our last longer update, uh, I need to share some kindness coming from a place I have definitely mocked in the past the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles. There are great people at the DMV, and this meat sack who needs to remain anonymous so she doesn't get fired from the DMV seems to truly be one of them. Uh, she writes, good morning, King Meat Sack. I don't know why it just occurred to me that I've been uh, lucky so far not to, be a victim's, uh, not to be a victim of Cummins Law. Try not to die of jealousy, but I'm an accountant at the DMV. 
and I have to take phone calls for an hour each day to help cover so my coworkers can have a lunch break. Most of the time, I keep time sucker is we dumb running and only pause when a call comes in. Actually, most of the calls I get sound like the caller would be pretty cool in real life, but some of those sweet little old ladies that call might just die if they heard you. I will toot my own horn a little. I'd like to think the inevitable has been extended by the karma I spread at work. Uh, people need to know empathy can be found in the darkest corners of the world, even in the collections unit of the DMV. It's shockingly easy to tell the difference most of the time between callers who are just being assholes and callers who could really use a break by waiving a fee or extending a deadline. And I grant them almost any time they ask. In fact, most of the time I will offer before they ask if they are close to a due date and not being an asshole. I honestly love hearing a caller's pleasant surprise. If this makes it on the show, please leave out my name because there aren't that many accountants in DMVs, let alone those with my name. <laughs> Fair. Now I'll toot bad magic's horn a little bit. I just want to say again, I love what the team does. I'll admit that even though I know you all work so hard to share good info and make it very clear what is fact and what is your opinion, I still get a small pit in my stomach when I see you're covering something political. But I've realized that's actually a really good thing because it confirms I'm not just sitting in an echo chamber, which you recently pointed out just how dangerous the wrong echo chamber can be. I completely agree with that. Thanks for the tip. Keep on sucking. Anonymous. Anonymous! I love that you are spreading joy from the DMV. You'll never fully know what the butterfly effect of your kindness is, right? You give somebody a break, it brightens their day. Maybe they go do something to brighten somebody else's day. Uh, maybe it shifts their attitude around to the to the right spot right before like a job interview. And now they get the job because of that small act of kindness. I mean, you really never know. And yes, we should all remain vigilant about echo chambers. Uh, if you saw who I follow like on Instagram, it's all over the map. Far right, far left, all over the middle. Uh, I like to know what's going on. You know, uh, I check in with Fox News. I check in with CNN. As much as I hate to spin, both throw down. I, I do like to balance it out. I like to have a feel for what's on both sides. Okay, now ending on a very special tribute on some remembrance. Might want to take some Claritin, some Zyrtex, some Flonase right now. I heard from a friend this message fucks with people's allergies. Fantastic meat sack. Caitlin Foppoli writes, Hello, my siblings and I wanted to reach out and write you almost a year ago now, but it was too painful at the time. My brother is Marty McCormick. I believe he was Marty motherfucking McCormick to you, which he thought was pretty badass. Our Marty sadly lost his battle with alcohol addiction and passed on June 17th, 2020 at only 30 years old. He passed away peacefully on my dad's birthday with our mom and dad by his side. Oh my gosh. All eight of his siblings were able to say goodbye to him, which was a huge blessing since COVID was such an issue. I find comfort that he is now at peace with our little sister, Deidre, who passed tragically at the age of 10. Just wanted to share a little tip about, or share a little about Marty. Marty was one out of 10 kids, number six in the lineup. There were seven boys and three girls. He came from a very close, large Irish Catholic family. He kept the same friends he made since preschool, loved them like his brothers. Marty touched many lives. He was a beautiful old soul, a gentle giant who gave the best bear hugs. He was tall and so handsome. He was very funny and was the life of the party. Marty was always the first one on the dance floor. He would often take joy in finding the most quiet or awkward person in the room and including them with some funny icebreaker or teasing gesture to bring them out of their shell. He loved people and cared for many. You felt special when you were with him. He was very close with his family, especially his mother. He was extremely proud to be an uncle and a godfather. He was very involved in all of his nieces and nephews' lives. He had great taste in music and loved oldies rock. The Beatles were his favorite, Jamalams. You would often find him singing with his eyes closed with such passion uh, with his brothers in mom's kitchen. He always had little dance moves to go with it. Marty knew a little something about everything. He enjoyed sharing his knowledge with others. He was also very blunt and loved to make shocking statements to get a rise out of people. He could be a shit disturber in the most loving way. He was truly one of a kind. He was complicated and very simple at the same time. Marty needed or wanted for nothing. He was humble and just happy being with his family, close friends, and his music. 
He rotated between three baseball caps that he would wear, his button-down plaid shirts, and he loved his t-shirts that meant something to him, usually music or movie related. His two favorite actors were Bill Murray and Tom Hanks. Our Marty was generous and had a huge heart. He was deeply loved and cherished by all. We miss him horribly. It is so painful to live in this world without him. On behalf of my family and I, we wanted to say thank you. Marty was such a big fan of yours. He absolutely loved Time Suck, listened in on the regular. I've come to realize that it was you and your show that gave him great comfort in times of darkness, which he sheltered from his family and friends as to not to burden or hurt us, which just hurts. I'm happy that he found joy and peace when he tuned to you, uh, you know, tuned into you guys. With a big smile and excitement, he would often tell us about your show and got several of us to listen. We are hooked. He had us listen to the time when he went on air and did his Michael McDonald impression to Katy Perry's fireworks song. Pretty epic. You named him Marty motherfucking McCormick Triple M. He was pretty proud of that and loved that it made his family and friends laugh and smile. Can I ask a huge favor from you? Marty's one year is coming up and we are doing things the McCormick way and throwing a huge bash in his honor with about 300 people coming. Is there any possible way we could have that recording of Marty doing another one of his epic impressions, which he was known for? It would truly be something if we could hear that again. Once again, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. There are no words to describe how I feel knowing that Marty loved your show and found such comfort and joy in it. Thank you. Keep doing your thing. People need you guys, especially in these times. You bring entertainment, enjoyment, and happiness to all. God bless you guys. Thanks for taking the time to read. Sincerely, Caitlin. Holy shit, Caitlin. I uh, hope you got my email. I sent in a message uh, Marty had sent attached an email that I'm going to play here in a moment and a time code link to another message in The Secret Suck. You know, I tracked down a few of uh, the voice messages he sent into The Secret Suck over the past years. Couldn't find the Katy Perry one, sorry. But did you know that Marty is the guy who kicked off the challenges in The Secret Suck? That's become a huge part of the show, my favorite part of the show. We've been doing some kind of challenge almost every week now for about 170 weeks. And Marty threw down the very first one in episode two. He was one of the very first space lizards on Patreon. We've laughed at other people's challenges for over three years now. Uh, we've done around 170 different challenges, new one every week. We've bonded over other challenges and Marty started all of that. It was his idea and his alone. He's touched hundreds of lives in that way, thousands actually. He brought thousands and thousands of people joy through all that silliness. He still does week after week. Uh, he will keep bringing all those laughs and community. We will keep the challenges that he started. We'll be thinking about him in that way every week. Uh, listened, listen to him now tossing out another entry of Michael motherfucking McDonald, uh, the, the challenge that Marty motherfucking McCormick started. This is, uh, Michael McDonald, uh, uh, doing a, uh, I'm sorry. This is Marty McCormick doing a Michael McDonald and Nickelback mashup. And it's glorious. What up, yo, Marty motherfucking McCormick, Michael McDonald, Nickelback. Here we go. I never made it as a wise man I couldn't cut it like a poor man stealing I never lived like a blind man I'm sick of sight without the sense of feeling And this is how you remind me This is how <laughs> you remind me of what I really am <laughs> Uh, I love that laugh at the end. Wherever Marty is now, and I think he's somewhere, I hope he's laughing like that all the time, Caitlin. Hail Marty motherfucking McCormick. Rest in peace, brother. And if anyone listening is struggling with addiction, don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep it away from your family. But if you don't feel comfortable sharing with your family, your friends, at, at the very least, you know, call someone. Call 1-800-662-4357 in the U.S., the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration Drug Abuse Hotline. It's free. It's confidential. They're not going to turn you in. They're not going to tell anyone you know. They just want to help you. 
Uh, for people struggling in other countries, get on the Google and get some help. And that is all for today. Next time, suckers. I needed that. We all did. Thanks for listening to another Bad Magic Productions podcast, Meat Sacks. Laugh it up this week, motherfuckers. Life is short. There's a lot of assholes out there, but don't let them get you down. Smile as much as you can. They hate that, and it makes you feel good. Let us know if you find any giant skeletons. Happy to admit I was wrong about those big bastards building ancient shit. Uh, Again, thank you, Marty, and keep on sucking.